morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's my last week before Christmas. I'm back after Christmas. I'm only off for a week. Don't think that this is it. Three-month trial didn't work out. Let's get somebody else in. No, the gig's mine. Uh, but f- five more shows, and then it's Christmas. I'm in a proper Christmas spirit. I had a clear-out Saturday. I know it doesn't sound very sexy. Chucked out loads of stuff in the loft. Loads of stuff. If it's been in the loft for two years or more and has not been touched, boom, it went. Including all my old um, retro video game systems. <clears throat> it's painful, but it had to be done. Uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit because I-, I had to go to the dump. And drop some stuff off. And it kind of got me thinking, we've all, you can't do it so much these days because you have those gentlemen watching you. But we've all found something special at the dump or in a skip or in someone's bin, haven't we? You've been to the dump and gone, ooh, I'll have that. Or you've wandered home a bit tipsy, midnight, you passed a skip and gone, what are they doing chucking that away? I want to know the best thing that you've, you've rescued from someone else's rubbish. 08459... Four double five five double five. Other things on the show this morning. The Amped Hill Lap Dancing Club has dropped its prices two weeks after it opened. We sent our reporter, Serena Farrow, there for a behind-the-scenes look at what really happens. And a scheme in Stevenage is using actors to help young people better prepare themselves for job interviews. How difficult has it been for your son or daughter to get work? Lots of ways to get in touch. You can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, and this is the best way to do it, and it's best to do it now when the lines are free, give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, it's been open for just over two weeks, and the lap dancing club in Ampthill has already dropped its prices. The entrance fee has been reduced by £10 at Shaler's, so it's now only a tenner to get in. Drink prices have also been reduced. Well, we sent BBC Three Counties reporter Serena Farrow there at the weekend. Morning, Serena. Morning, morning. You, you didn't go on your own, did you? Who did you go with? No, if I went on my own, I think not, not too great. But I went with Luanne. Yes. Luanne, lovely lady, owns a business in the town there. Yep. So she was... She wasn't really all that up for it. She, you know, I, I really had to encourage her to come along. Because there are a lot of... The, the reason this has been controversial is a lot of people have kind of said, we don't want this in Amptill. And Luann was one of those people, was she? She was one. She was one who was protesting, you know, on the night, months beforehand. And yeah. even now, she's handed in the petition. OK, right. OK. This, who else did you go with? Then we went with um, Ree Bridges. She's mm. another local there lady who loves enjoys a night out, you okay, know. And yes. so she just said, well, this would be a way of expanding her night out, a different... Yeah. Entertainment, if you like. So she was, she was up for it. Yeah. Shall we Anyone else? And then Mark Ward, because we had to have a guy in there. Of course, all women. You know, and we you have, have to, to have get have the, the bloke's perspective. Prices you let me down. Uh, well, I was busy that night uh, yeah. being married. Uh, p- uh, prices have been reduced already. It's only been open a couple of weeks. Well. It, yeah, so you'd, you'd think, well, I don't know. I, did they do that deliberately? Yeah. Apparently, it was all part of a grand plan. And that hasn't been dropped. And that's purely and simply the opening weekend. It was hyped up just because, you know, obviously it raised a lot of eyebrows and there was a lot of people coming here for curiosity more than anything. It was really just done to, to keep certain people away, perhaps that think, oh, well, we're just going anyway. So by racking up the prices of the admission on the first weekend, it did the job. So that's the manager, Paula. Paula. She wouldn't give us her name, unfortunately. Would she not? No. Why? They're all very secretive. It's like the MI5 in there. How funny. You'd think, you'd give you, if you're proud to be a manager of a place, you'd give your name, wouldn't you? 
Anyway. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. So she and her staff are very tight on rules and regulations and restrictions, and I wasn't even allowed to record in there. Ouch. Clearly no photography, no recording, so your microphone will not be allowed inside the premises. And that's really for protection of the clients inside. Again, just in case any of their voices are heard and you put it out on air, their wives, girlfriends might hear and think, oh, well, I didn't know that they were there. So it's for their protection. We have to look after everybody on this venue. Now, as we know, many of the, the, the residents and local businesses have been unhappy about the club being there. Why? Well, yeah, as I've explained, they've already handed in this poten- uh, petition rather to stop the licence from being renewed, which will be renewed next June. Many feel it's just not the right location because mm. it is right in the heart of this quaint market town. Waitrose is literally a stone's throw away from the place. But we went to the White Hart pub beforehand to reconvene and have a little chat about it all. The owner there is Sal. He hopes the club will have a positive effect on his business. I think so. In the long run, it will do it. And if it's run properly and if it's established in the long term, I think, yeah, we will benefit, not just myself. I think the local restaurants as a community as a whole. It's another business open, better than having a shop closed. For me, he's doing quite discreetly. It's legal. It's not exactly hardcore porn. Just uh, another way to go out and have fun. Another way to go out and have fun. Uh, well, we've got we've got a clip now of, of your night out. Did, uh, bef- did you have fun? So we had fun. Well, so let's just explain. It was a Saturday night. Yeah. It was quite heaving because obviously it's a week before Christmas or so. Mm. Um, half past nine till half past eleven, we went in there. You were there for two hours. We were only meant to be there for half an hour. Wow, you really do follow these reports through, don't you, Serena? See, I'm diehard. Me. Yeah. Committed. But I've got to be honest. We did that only because there really wasn't enough people in there. There right. were more staff in there. There were about ten staff. Yeah. And a couple how, of how customers. many ladies are, do they have dancing? At any one time, only one. There are two poles, uh-huh. okay. so you can have two. It's very small, very minute right. little place. Let's yep. not forget. Pretty much, this studio is bigger than the joint. So we've got two poles. One of them only lights the limelight any one time, and there were really two ladies actually working that night. Right. So and we expected more. We've yeah. got to be honest. We expected more, but again, who knows? As as time passes, trade may pick up. Should we have a listen to what happened? Let's go for it. It overlapped with the supermarket's opening hours until at nine o'clock because the entrance actually is in the supermarket car park. It's also overlaps with the children's dance school, which is virtually opposite, but it does overlap with family restaurants and eating hours. However, it's the other end of it, the coming out hours until one o'clock in the morning, the noise abatement. I've been to Smiles and Milton Keynes, but there again, it's in a much bigger, bigger area, a much bigger town. And everyone's out there to make a living. It's not like they've got hook on the corner of the street it's basically girls just dancing so who were they so we yep. have luan that was them was it okay luan there re yep. and mark mark was indifferent so we had one from every side so of course we wanted to find out what their perceptions of the lap dancing club were yep. and whether they would change once they'd been in there and actually i was very surprised because even myself i feel a bit do I feel a bit dirty for saying it, but mm. I, I really didn't mind the place. Okay. I'd, I, I would, I'd take my friends probably next weekend, actually, because Wowzers. really plush, exuberant when you get in there. Security guards, top-notch. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure you, you wouldn't get you better. You don't go to a place products. for the security guards, though. Yeah, but you, you feel go safe. there for the... What's it? Yeah, but didn't... You see, again, perception was we wouldn't really feel that safe in there. Yeah. But no, men are just in their own little booths. Some, there was one woman, but mainly men in yeah. there. And, you know, they just keep themselves themselves, just enjoy the dance. Okay. Enjoy talking to the so women. We, we just heard what our, our three uh, um, uh, the guinea pigs thought before. This is what they thought 
afterwards. From what we'd come from from another local pub, I would actually prefer to go in there and spend the evening and not look at the women than go in the, the other pub that we went into. I felt more at home in there. The booths are all completely open. There's nothing else that could happen down there. Yes, you could see, you know, cleavage, but it was, you know, someone was dressed in like a Santa's outfit. I saw quite a bit of tush. I wasn't really taking a lot of notice, to be perfectly honest with you, but I'm quietly surprised as to how well it's actually run. The amount of women that are actually working in there as security bar staff and serving and that they're not scantily clad that's very pretty i was dressed okay <laughs> the way they were dressed was discreet you know there was enough on show but not too much to make you feel sort of like oh dear it's a great place coming back brilliant actually i really enjoyed it tonight they weren't intimidating they're just all friendly it was non-intrusive you didn't feel like you had to watch the women on the pole yeah it was just comfy so very quickly serena in summary it turns out that it was kind of a bit of a success <laughs> disappointing is it disappointing yet i mean it still remains and this remains from all three of them though yeah. It's in the wrong location. Right. Don't think we'll probably get enough custom because there's nowhere to go for them afterwards. We found on average people stay there, what, half an hour? Mm. And then where do they go after that? Normally in bigger cities, they probably go clubbing to a nightclub, you know, boogie the yeah. night away. But in Amptill, you can't. You're not going to do that. Serena, thank you very much for, for going and investigating that. 08459 455 555. What do you reckon? Would you go? Have you been? Does it sound like your kind of night out? Talk to you after this. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I want your stories, and again, I think this is going to be a blokes thing. I don't think women do this. Your stories of going to the dump to get rid of a load of old stuff and actually coming back with more bits and pieces. 08459 455 555. Claire has just tweeted me, at Ian Lee. My husband came back from a trip to the dump with a pair of skis. Still uses them. See, blokes do that, I think. Seriously, I don't think uh, I don't think women do this, but men they go to the dump. I took a post to the, to the dump, big poster in a frame, huge, uh, and it was it was for a film about an obscure '60s rock group, Arthur Lee and Love, right? and it broke my heart to get rid of this, but I just I haven't got the space for it, and so I carried it from my car to the dump, slowly and facing outwards because I knew that a bloke would see this and want it. Three blokes came up to me. You all right, mate? You, uh, you getting rid of that? I said, yeah, I am. Oh, well, I'll have it. I left it with three gentlemen fighting over who had seen it and who had touched it first. I actually heard one bloke say, yeah, but I touched it first. I don't know if it works like that. What have you picked up from a skip, from the dump, from a mate's rubbish bin? I once got a cracking Barry Manilow record that got me through a terrible breakup with my first girlfriend. I know! I know! 08459 455 555. If you can take a picture of it and post it on the Facebook page, I'd love you forever. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. It's the Quo with the Argos theme. It's the theme from Argos, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. It's good, that. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Do go to the Facebook page and have a little argument. I like it when you argue. Play nice, no insults or, you know, anything nasty. Well, gentle insults, but nothing nasty. But go there and have a little chat. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. And here's something that I know uh, a, a, a lot of you would, would like to have your say on. President Barack Obama has told relatives of the 26 people killed at Sandy Hook Elementary School that mass shooting tragedies, quote, must end.
Speaking at a vigil in memory of the victims, the President told an emotional audience, Newtown, you are not alone. But is it time for America's gun laws to change? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Dr. Julian Richards is an expert on international security issues and is deputy director of the Centre for Security and Intelligence Studies at the University of Buckingham. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning. Should America's gun laws change? Well, um, to us on the outside, clearly they should, um, and there's there's um, certainly some political appetite for that building up now in the wake of this particular incident. Um, the, the words that President Obama has uttered in the last day or so about um, we can't allow this to, to carry on suggest that he, for one, is, is of a mind to, to try and make something happen here. But, of course, politically, for him and, and for the US in general, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. If he did... I mean, obviously there's a lot of public emotion around this, but if he did come out and say, right, we're banning guns, that would alienate him from, I guess, half of America, wouldn't it? Yes, it would, um, and that's the problem, that, that this is actually quite complex within American politics, really. And it, it's, it's an issue that, surprisingly for us, perhaps, but is, is a very political issue, and it, it divides um, electorates between Republican and Democrat, um, between rural and, and urban electorates. And it's something that many people in America still consider to be a fundamental right of theirs, the right to bear arms. If they keep guns, what could be done to protect America from these kind of attacks? Well, that's where, as ever with these things, the devil is in the detail. And actually, what, probably what we're looking at here is, is not necessarily an outright ban on guns altogether, um, but um, some degree of restriction on their ownership. Um, and and if, if you look at um, the American picture, there different states across America have introduced um, certain laws about registration and who's allowed to own guns, availability of ammunition and so on. So actually that's probably the answer here is that we're not talking about an outright ban on the, on the use of guns because that, or the ownership of guns because that would be politically impossible in the States. But um, some higher level of, of authorisation um, surely has to happen in the wake of this massacre. We've obviously, we've had, um, we, we've had gun tragedies, of course we have, but nowhere near as many as they have in the States. Why are we so successful at, at keeping gun crime comparatively low down? That's a very good question, and to some extent um, an almost impossible one to answer, because if, if, if we knew the, the reasons and the, the causes for these massacres, we'd all, we'd all be much better off. Um, but um, so it, it's, it's, there's probably a whole range of factors. I mean, firstly, it, it certainly is the case that the United States is unusual in this. Although there have been massacres in other countries, notably Finland is the, has the second highest incidence of this sort of thing, um, the States is is way out there in front. Um, this seems to happen a lot more often and, and uh, a lot more horrifically in the States than anywhere else. Um, and so that, that partly must have to do with, with availability of guns. Um, because remember, in, in this particular massacre, these, the guns that were used here were entirely legally obtained and legally held um, by the perpetrator's mother, as it turned out. So... so one of the reasons here is, uh, must be a, a difference in gun ownership and gun culture. Is it, it's the Second Amendment, isn't it, that, that, to the Constitution that, that gives the right to bear arms, but isn't that open to interpretation, the phrasing of it? Yes, it is, yeah, and that, again, that's another very sort of specific detail that often gets, gets warped. I mean, um, 
technically the second amendment says states have the right to raise militias um if in extreme circumstances and um, to protect themselves it doesn't actually say that individuals have the right um to obtain guns and bear arms but that's it's been interpreted as such by by those who they, people miss off the, the the second half of the sentence is the right of the people to keep and bear arms but it misses off the first bit which you say is is that, that it's for a militia should they need to defend the state that's right yeah yeah and that's the, um you know if you look at the the specific detail of it, it it's specifically relating to um, the need to raise militias not not for individuals to bear arms but that's not how it's been interpreted over the years is it are they ever going to get rid of guns they can't can they I don't, not completely, no, because it, it just, um, uh, you know, half the, half the senators um, come from rural areas where support for gun ownership um, is, is, is very high and is likely to remain high, even in the wake of an incident such as this. So, no, they're not going to completely ban it. But I think they, they can and they must do um, some things about registration and ownership um some states in the states have done this and they they really need to extend that um and obama needs to um do something as, as he suggested he's going to fascinating thank you very much uh, dr julian richards from the university of buckingham well, what do you think is it time america changed its gun laws we d- about two months ago we did a phone in here about should we have guns to stop crimes and loaded of you yeah yeah we should all have guns uh <laughs> It, 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 surely America has to change their gun laws now, don't they? If a kid can walk in and shoot other kids, that's outright, that, that can't be allowed to happen. Oh, yeah. So if, if someone phones in and says, oh, yeah, it's, uh, guns don't kill people, people kill people. They're banned. Because, no, it, it's people with guns. So that's, that's just the worst argument. Guns don't kill people, it's people do. No, guns do. It's guns. It's the guns that, that do. It's a terrible idea, isn't it, allowing people to, to have guns like they do in America. And it is, as we were just saying there, a misinterpretation of the Second Amendment to the American Constitution. Thank you very much, History A-Level. I knew you'd pay off at some point. 08459 four double five five double five. There can't be anybody listening to this now who doesn't think America needs to look at its gun laws and change them. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Right, let's get the latest from those jam cams. Go to Sophie Tyler. No major problems to update you with at the moment. Looks like it's all moving fairly nicely. Out is that there according? Is that whole? according to the jam cams? It is according to the jam cams. I'm going to show you a picture of the jam cams so you know that they're real. Tweet, tweet me the, a picture uh, of the jam cams, and we'll, I'll retweet <laughs> okay. it. Thank you. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. Fading you out a little bit earlier. I can only apologise. How rude of me. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Dong, dong, dong. Coming up in the next half an hour. I'm excited because it's the last week before holidays. <laughs> yeah, I am genuinely excited. And also, my family stayed at my in-laws last night, so I had the whole house to myself. So I was in bed. I was in a proper bed, not the loft bed. I was in my own bed that I paid for that I've not slept in for three months. I was in that with my Nexa 7, watching Breaking Bad, living the dream. Living the dream. That's why I'm a little bit hyper today. I'll be, I'll, by half past seven, I'll be knackered. Coming up in the next half an hour of the show, we find out who the big winners of the Sports Personality of the Year awards were last night, and how difficult is it for your son or daughter to get work? A scheme in Stevenage, which uses a theatre company to help people get jobs, is proving to be a bit of a success. 08459 455 555. 
Now, an incredible year of sport. Even me, the least sporty person in the world, enjoyed some of the sport this year. Well, it was all celebrated at the Excel Arena in London last night with the BBC's Sports Personality of the Year, which has been abbreviated to Spotty. We've never had it abbreviated like that before. Everywhere, Spotty, Spotty. No, Sports person. we don't, come on. Bradley Wiggins won the title. The first mod to win Sports Personality of the Year since Ronnie Lane in 1967. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you. I keep doing that joke. No one laughs. It's not that funny, that's why. It's voted for by the public. The Olympic uh, heptathlon champion, Jessica Ennis, was runner-up. And the US Open winner and Olympic gold medalist, Andy Murray, was third. Well, our reporter, Neil Cartmel, has more... Morning, Neil! Morning, Ian. It, Wiggins pretty much had this in the bag, didn't he? I know it was a tough year, but, but to win the Tour de France is, is, is pretty special, isn't it? It is. The bookies never get these things wrong, do they, Ian? Let's be honest about this. And they had him favourite from a long way out, and obviously for good reason, because they don't want to lose any cash on the whole thing. Um, I just think that deep down, a lot of the sporting people in this country recognise that winning the Tour de France is just that little bit above and beyond all the other achievements because it's so rare for a Brit it's never been done by a Brit mm. but it's not even come close really Tommy Simpson back in the set in the 50s perhaps but other than that just not close and to do that and then go on and win an Olympic gold medal and dominate your sport and also he's a nice guy people like him he's understated he's down to earth he said in his victory speech that he wants to give the trophy to his local pub so he can put it on the bar he thanked his nan for repeat dialing voting for him so he's a nice fella people like him and his achievement is just Staggering. I was going to say, it's called, it's, know, it's, Neil, it's called Sports Personality of the Year, and he's actually got a personality. That's th- that makes the difference. You imagine if Andy Murray had won it. Oh yeah, say thanks very much for, uh, for voting me. <laughs> Wigg- Wiggins comes out and he has a joke. He has a laugh. I've, I've got a picture of him in his in his blazer. There he looks. He looks like a character. He's got something a bit special that we don't often see in in sports people, hasn't he? He's a cycling version of Paul Weller. He's a massive fan of Paul Weller, and he's like he's, he's like Paul Weller, but with a personality. Paul Weller's a bit dour at times, isn't he? Yes, um, it's but, a little bit. Uh, I, I, st- I, st- I still wake up in cold sweats remembering Michael Owen's exception speech from uh, 1998, when it was probably one of the dullest moments in history. <laughs> um, and I ju- and <laughs> you do you do sometimes wonder about the name of the award. I think it goes to achievement. It's not really yes. about per- even they, they call it personality, but it is achievement. But I think he probably would have done quite well on both accounts. That said, when Jessica Ennis would came up to give her a little speech earlier in the programme where they interviewed her and said, what a wonderful year you've had. She got a massive ovation. They wouldn't sit down for about two minutes. And I did think, I wonder if she's going to sneak it, because people had fallen in love with her, mm. you know, on, on the telly over the summer, and she was the face of the games. I thought, well, you know, there was a chance that of all the people, not necessarily because she deserved it more, but because people just were so affectionate towards her, I thought maybe she might sneak it. But she didn't, and Bradley Wiggins did, and she came second. And I think he took a good chunk of the votes. They got about a million and a half... Uh, votes in uh, and in 37 minutes in time because wow. I timed it uh, and he got 500,000 of those so the rest was split between all the other, all the other candidates so I think he, he probably just about sneaked it. Jessica Ennis of course was definitely the lady six pack of the uh, of the sporting year for me never seen anything oh, quite like it. All, all the talk all the talk afterwards was apparently about heels because most oh. of the women were in agony for most of the night because they've been tramping around the XL which is a big old place yeah. in these ridiculous heels so once they once the lights had gone off and the, the cameras had gone they all immediately took them off and put their flat shoes on. Who were the other big winners <laughs> of the night Neil? Who, who else did well? 
Uh, you're the big winners were Lord Cole got the Lifetime Achievement Award for running and organising the Olympic Games and also being a fantastic athlete. So he got the Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, very emotional award, the Helen Rollison Award, which is for kind of achievement in adversity, went to uh, Martine Wright, who was a 7-7 victim, lost both her legs and then went on to represent at Paralympic GB in sitting volleyball this year. So an amazing life journey for her and a lovely, lovely moment when she got the award from PC Elizabeth Kenworthy, who was the lady who rescued her and saved her life that day on the tube train so that was touching um, and then the team of the year went to Olympic GB and Paralympic GB together they got 185 medals over the summer and so they got the team of the year and coach of the year went to Dave Brailsford the cyclist um, who who'd sort of overseen Bradley Wiggins and all the Olympians as well uh, the overseas sports personality went to Usain Bolt so um, there's a couple of others if you want them young, sp young sports, sports personality went to Joseph Craig Paralympic swimmer and the last one unsung hero Jim and Sue uh, Houghton who were from Leicestershire, who'd um, basically run and, and got together a leisure centre over many years by creating funding themselves and giving sport to many, many people. Neil, thank you very much for that. It was always going to be Wiggins, wasn't it? Without a shadow of a doubt. Good for him. Now, can we stop talking about sport <laughs> for, the, for the next five years? Six years? 08459 455 555. What have you picked up from the dump? And it will only be blokes. It will not be a woman phoning in saying she found a nice hairdryer or something from the dump. It doesn't work like that. Beard update coming soon. A, a photo of the beard. We're, we're into entering week three. We're entering uncharted territory when it comes to my facial hair. I'm a bit bored of it now, to be honest, and it looks a bit scruffy. Does it stop... If you're a beard expert... I don't know who that would be... Does it stop looking scruffy, or is, is, have I just got a scruffy beard? Do people have smart beards and scruffy beards? It looks scruffy. I'm bored of it. I just know now that if, to shave it, it will just be a nightmare. It will take me about three razors, and it will be a bloody mess. I'm not swearing. It would literally be a bloody mess. So I'm kind of stuck with it for a bit now. We'll get a picture taken, and we'll put that up on the internet. That's what, uh, that's what you're all waiting for, isn't it? Waiting for a bit of that. Shall we have a look at the front page of the newspapers? The Times. Pressure on Obama to act fast on gun control. Democrats demand curbs on assault weapons. What do you reckon? Should America change its gun laws? They don't really work, do they? Obviously. 08459 455 555. And there's Wiggins holding a trophy because he done won it. Uh, the Telegraph. Wiggins holding a trophy and gun, gun killer's mother was preparing for meltdown. The mother of the gunman who killed 20 children and seven adults... Um, was preparing for economic collapse. And scrap bus passes for wealthy pensioners, says Clegg. Didn't we do that the other week? The Independent um, has uh, the names of uh, and the birth dates of all the people that were killed in the massacre. And peer-to-peer -peer lending boom could make banks obsolete. Wowzers. Obsolete banks. Uh, I went into the bank the other day. I had to pay a check-in. I know, a check. This is the check that I've had for three months in my wallet. And they made, there was a guy, they have a, sometimes when the bank is quiet, they have like a guy just standing there, trying to make conversation with people. And he was talking to me about my son. How's your boy? He is good. Must be getting big now. I don't know who you are. I've got two boys as well. Don't talk to me. Go and stand behind that counter and make this queue go quicker. They do that, don't they? Is everyone all right? Can I help anyone? Is anyone paying a check-in? Would you like to just drop it off? No, I want a, a person to stamp my book. The Daily Express. Now pensions wrecked by new 20% cut. Millions will see retirement plans ruined. 
The Daily Mail. Online porn. The fight must go on. Oh, I backed that all the way. Oh, no, hang on. They're against it. That. Um, and the sun, uh, end the lunacy. Guns, uh, clamp calls on school killings. 08459 555555. Right. Let's go and get the latest from the Jam Cams. Jam Cams with Sophie Tyler. Still no picture of those Jam Cams. Well, here's a tune I wasn't expecting to hear today. Boom. Oh, it's not the version with Jason Donovan, Band-Aid 2. I like that one. It's proper Christmas, is it? Are they still doing the Top of the Pops Christmas special, or have they shelled that in wake of recent scandals? Oh, I'm well excited. I love Christmas. It's all sorted out. Going to my sister's Christmas Eve, the in-laws Christmas Day, Boxing Day. I ain't got to do nothing. Apart from have a good time. <laughs> I love Christmas. And if you don't, bar humbug. Now I know what that means. Bar humbug to you even more. Now, unemployment may have gone down nationally, according to the latest figures, but it still stands at 2.5 million. The number of people who are out of work has, in fact, gone up in the east of England. So what's being done to try and combat this? Well, a unique scheme in Stevenage to help young people back into work is already proving a success. Each trainee has a mentor to help them improve their CV and interview skills. Three people have found employment as a result of the Job Centre Plus funded project. Maureen Herdman from Stevenage Borough Council is one of those behind the scheme. She spoke to our reporter, Tony Fisher. But just play today. See what comes up. We've got... We're actors, so we're just going to look at funny scenarios if we want to. We can have a bit of a laugh. You've done some stuff on interviews, haven't you? Hello, I'm I'm Elaine Lister from Weights Living Space, and I'm a Tenancy Support and Works Officer. I'm a volunteer to be a mentor, basically. Okay, so tell us about being a mentor here. What's what's it like? Chris, who um, I've been mentoring, has been um, really positive. Um, He's looking for an IT sort of communications job. But with this course, it's been quite nice to um, get to know him, um, helping with his CV, um, doing mood boards, getting to know what, what really he's about. So it's a bit more of a personal approach rather than just giving him practical advice. And have you had experience of mentoring people in the past? or Not in this situation, no. So it's been quite quite a good one for me, as soon as this is a pilot, um, a pilot scheme. So I'll, I'll definitely do it again. But you're obviously in work, you know about being in work, yes. and you know about how to get into work. So Yes, yes, and I've been in a couple of situations where I have been made redundant myself, so I have been out there searching for jobs. So hopefully I've passed on a bit of experience and um, a bit to Chris, yeah. how I can go about doing that. Okay, so Chris, how's it been? I mean, have you, have you learned a lot so far on this? Um, I've learned new, new perceptive perspectives, I'd say, as, such as... Uh, trying to stay positive while doing it because looking for a job isn't very fun in a sense no especially not in this current market as, as well um, but have you seen hope because three people have already come off this scheme and have, uh, got jobs so does that give you hope um, it gives me confidence to keep trying and so what sort of things what sort of things are you are you learning or are you learning how to do your cv essentially coming on to this pilot scheme i wanted to know where I was going wrong and how I could fix that and most of the people I turned to couldn't really give me any solid advice so you just weren't stressing the the key points yes. that you're good at basically yeah so confident in the new year after Christmas that something definitely. will come up definitely Kerry Swainer you're on this scheme here how's it how's it going for you are you enjoying it I'm enjoying it and it's helped me get my confidence back up have you had jobs in the past or you 
what, have you been out of work for a while? What's your situation? I was doing work experience at Pets at Home, and then they said they'd keep me on, and they didn't, and then it knocked me back. So I was out of work for a while. I was in unemployed for four years. So you had a job, and then they, 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 they lost you, and so you, you, you really were a bit down in the dumps, were you? Yeah. And so coming on this scheme, has that built your confidence more than anything else? It has, yeah. And I want to work with people, so I've got work experience coming up at Stevenage Council on Wednesday. Right, oh, that's good. So hopefully something will come from that then. Yeah, hopefully. That'd be good. Probably quite a nice pension. (laughs) (laughs) That's a reporter, Tony Fisher there. What tips would you offer to young people to help them find their way back to work? It's tough, isn't it? Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five, and let's celebrate a bit of good news. If you've got a, a young person in your house, or you are a young person, first of all, what are you doing listening to this nonsense? But secondly, and you've just got a job, give us a call. Let's celebrate. It's Christmas, right? Let's have some good news. If you're under twenty-five, part, well, once you get over twenty-five, that's it. You're past it. If you're under twenty-five and you've just got a job, give us a call, and let's pat you on the back and, and raise a metaphorical glass. <laughs> Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the latest from the Jam Cams. Sophie Tyler. <laughs> Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, you've, you have tweeted a picture and I've retweeted it. Is, is that your workstation? Yes. Oh, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> oh, we were just <laughs> trying to imagine. just one section of oh, the jam cams as I well. Feel... That wasn't even the best one. Wow, there's even more jam cams. That was just a very small section of the M25. Wow, you keep posting those <laughs> pictures, Sophie, and I'll keep retweeting them. Uh, if you want to go and see what Sophie's workstation looks like, at BBC3CR on Twitter or at Ian Lee. I do feel sorry for it. Imagine having a really bad hangover looking at those jam cams. Oh, you'd feel awful. BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. Catherine Boyle! Yes. Uh, now, uh, this weekend I had a big clear out and took a load of junk. <laughs> not junk. It was This was gold. This was actual gold to the rubbish dump, mm-hmm. including a big poster. And I was surrounded by men <laughs> who wanted this poster. And I left them literally, almost literally fighting over it. In the past, I have uh, salvaged from a rubbish dump uh, a Barry Manilow record that got me through... <laughs> Sorry? No, I love a bit of Barry yeah, Manilow. Who doesn't? Who, who dumps it, for heaven's sake? I know, idiots. It got me through a very <laughs> painful uh, breakup. And also, my dad once found a perfectly working, wonderfully decorated accordion. Oh. Yeah, I know. Now, people think you're quite bosh, posh, but I know actually... <laughs> they know I'm not. Th- they know you're not. You're dead common. <laughs> Have you ever salvaged anything, Catherine? Yeah, a gnome. Sorry? A gnome. Me and my mum decided to rescue one. He was sitting at the edge of the skip. Again, who, who dumps a gnome? How could you look in that little face and tip him in the bin? How heartless. And, and uh, does the gnome still live with you? Yeah, in my mum and dad's garden. My dad's thrilled. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Catherine. We've all done it. Maybe, maybe girls do do it as well, then. I thought it was a bloke thing. We are asking, what, what stuff have you salvaged, liberated, from rubbish dumps, skips, your mate's bin... Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. My dad came. I remember my dad came home once with a wonderful accordion. Beautiful thing it was. Worked perfectly. We had that for years. I think I got rid of it when um, my mum moved into a home. I had to clear a load of stuff out. I didn't have room for it. Wonderful thing. What things have you picked up from skips and dumps? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Other things in the show this morning. Do lap dancing clubs deserve their bad reputation? Our reporter Serena Farah, who's been to the new one in Amptill, to see what the fuss is all about. President Barack Obama has said the US must do more to protect its children in the wake of Friday's shootings at a school in Newtown, Connecticut. Should America change its gun laws? And the Transport Secretary, Patrick McLaughlin, has played down the chances of the government increasing the speed limit on motorways to 80 miles an hour. 
Do you think the motorway speed limit should increase? Lots of ways to get in touch. If you go to Facebook, there'll be a picture of my beard. Mm. And uh, you'll get to see uh, our reporter Serena and the Motley Crew, Serena and the Motley Crew that went to the lap dancing club. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send us a text as well, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, and we've got a few lines free, give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, we've been talking about it for a while. People have been dead against it. Been open for two weeks now, and the lap dancing club in Ampthill has already dropped its prices. The entrance fee has been reduced by £10 at Shaler's, so it's now only a tenner to get in. And also drink prices have been reduced. BBC Three Counties visited the lap dancing club on Saturday night, and in the space of two hours, they had ten customers. Reporter Serena Farrow took three people along with her, Luanne Hall, Ree Bridges and Mike Ward. They all live or work around Amptill and had different perceptions of what the club might be like. I'm Luanne and I'm from Flittick. It's just whereabouts it is in the centre of Amptill. There's a lot of residents in the centre. If they put it somewhere else on the outskirts, the industrial estate, somewhere like that, I've not got a problem with the lap dancing industry. My main concerns were the fact that it overlapped with the supermarkets opening hours until at nine o'clock because the entrance actually is in the supermarket car park it's also overlaps with the children's dance school which is virtually opposite but it does overlap with family restaurants and eating hours if it was open even slightly later then you probably find that there might not be so much of an issue in town however it's the other end of it the the coming out hours um, until one o'clock in the morning the noise abatement for all the local residents that i think is probably going to be the main cause of concern i might i haven't got any issues with with lap dancing clubs as such i've been to smiles Milton Keynes but there again it's in a much bigger bigger area a much bigger town people live their lives how they want to live their lives and if that entails going to these sort of places on a regular basis then that's that's what their life is all about Three Bridges oh I'm well up for it yeah the arguments that people have got about their children seeing it and stuff like that uh, the children shouldn't be out there at that time of night and if they are out there at that time of night they're older children and I'm sure they look at far worse things on the internet but, I mean, do you think as well there's people a little bit older, so to them they're a little bit more prudish and it's kind of a bit outrageous having a strip club in the part of the town? But they have to move with the times and everyone's out there to make a living. It's not like they've got hookers on the corner of the street. It's basically girls just dancing on the stage downstairs when no-one can possibly see them. They just need to shut their curtains and accept that it's going on and carry on watching their tellies. Okay, before you enter the premises, that's simple house rule of the shalers. There is a no-touching policy in force at all times. Okay, it's compulsory minimum £1 contribution to the pot for the girls for the floor show. My name's Paul, I'm the general manager at Shaler's. The other house rule is clearly no photography, no recording, so your microphone will not be allowed inside the premises. And that's really for protection of the clients inside. And again, just in case any of their voices are heard and you put it out on air, their wives, girlfriends might hear and think, oh, well, I didn't know that they were there. So it's for their protection. We have to look after everybody on this venue. And it was originally £20 in the first week? It was, yeah, and that has been dropped. And that's purely and simply the opening weekend. It was hyped up because, you know, obviously it raised a lot of eyebrows and there was a lot of people coming here for curiosity more than anything. It was really just done to keep certain people away, perhaps that think, oh, well, we'll just go in anyway. Private dance 
ounces, £20. And the drinks over the bar for like bottles was £4. And if you want the nudity, you can get that down below, so to speak, in the basement. <laughs> yeah, pardon your pun on that one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but yes, that's with paying for a private dance. A private dance is £20. If the clients wish the girls or the performers to be nude downstairs, that's where it will take place. We've been open two weeks. Have you had more men, more women, a mixture of both? Well, certainly the opening weekend, it was very much, uh, yes, predominantly males, but we had a lot of females in as well. Any plans to get blokes up there, though, stripping off? Well, anything's possible in the future. And we've had two spot visits done by the local authority, one last weekend on the Saturday and one last night. We've been made aware on the evening. All the conditions have been complied with and they left happy. I mean, obviously, there are going to be some businesses open, like restaurants, bars. Waitrose is still open at the moment, but we've haven't had any complaints we've haven't haven't had any notes through the door nothing there's been no issues okay so that was serena farrah there at the lap, da- lap dancing club in uh, Amptill with uh, three of our listeners what did they think of the club once they'd been there well one of those luan hall joins us now morning luan good morning what did you think of the club it's open late and i like my bed <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, are you a bit of an uh, you like going to bed quite early do you i like my jammies <laughs> you, you, yes I, your jammies okay yeah uh, but but that aside yeah no that aside oh obviously being a local business owner myself and hearing a lot of local people's um issues thoughts feelings etc um and also being a member of the chamber of trade and all that kind of thing mm. i must admit i i wanted to um find out for myself so i wasn't giving false information out to people from things that i was hearing from other people right um so when i was asked i must admit i was a little bit worried um i was a little bit um anxious um but i thought you know what i'm gonna give it a go so good for you yeah it was um it was one of those evenings it was a little bit surreal let's say that did did it change your opinion in any way because you've am i right in, in, in saying luanne that you've signed the petition against this place i did sign the petition against it i've always said right from the very very beginning i've never been against the actual lap dancing club itself yeah. i've always been against where it has been positioned mm. it's right in the center of the town um since it's been opened the actual outside of the building looks much nicer now uh, it just looks like a building that's it, it doesn't look as though it's not in use like it's not boarded up or anything like that it is actually just um a white outside with black blinds drawn inside it just looks like an empty window basically you wouldn't know anything was there if you didn't know it was there um but that's all right isn't it that's better than having an empty place surely yeah i mean yeah definitely um but the trouble is is that it doesn't bring business in during the day right um you know and in the end of the day we're a small town to bring extra business into the day is all good the problem that is is the in the end of the day there are a lot of residents that are complaining about the noise at the latter part of the evening you know sort of two three o'clock in the morning after they've all been dispelled from various venues around the town but the the club closes it closed at half twelve one o'clock they actually stop people coming in at half past twelve right. now, when we actually got there um the security round the corner was actually what used to be a very dark area is now quite lit um we were searched by um you know security guards and everything um and i found that the, the whole sort of entry to the, the club was actually more um, 
secure than when I went into another local club. Right. I felt more secure in that club than I did when I went to another pub. And the people that were in there, what did they seem like? Were they were they civilised? Were they a bit rowdy? Was it loads of uh, ogling blokes? Well, we all had to sit down. We weren't. There was no stand standing at all. We were all told there was no touching. You had to stay set, seated. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, there was actually more women in there than there were men. Excuse me? Really? <laughs> Really? Um, there was only actually three, uh, two or three people in there that I would assume were club customers. Right. The rest of them were either staff members okay. or dancers. There were three dancers, um, and the rest of them were either security or, or gentlemen that were sitting there, you know, with a drink. So business perhaps not as good as, as, as maybe they were expecting. Luan, has this, has this changed your mind? Are you going to strike your name from that petition and, and give them the thumbs up? Um, I'm not going to strike my name from the position because I will always be of the opinion that it's not the right place for the club. Yeah. Um, but there isn't all the, with all the thing that people are talking about, scantily clad women coming out, this kind of stuff, um, the noise, um, and, you know, that kind of thing, I don't believe that that is going to be an issue for the members of the town. I think that they will have more problem in the fact that they've got to try and, there's nothing in the club to really keep them there all night and if they come into Amptill there's nothing really else around the, the club to keep them in Amptill entertained other than one or two other uh, um, clubs and restaurants uh, sorry bars and I think that that will be the problem they'll go in have their hour of fun in in the club and then they'll come out and go and get a bit more drunk in other pubs and then that'll be the problem at the other end of the day when they come out later from noisier clubs, because that was one thing I did find, actually, in the club. The noise level was very low, and you could actually sit and have a proper conversation. Mm. And it was it was really nice atmosphere, actually, to sit. You didn't have to look at the girls dancing, but they had more clothes on than some of the kids in the, in the bar. Oh, I, d- I, d- I demand a refund. Clubs. Yeah. Uh, Luanne, listen, thank you very much. That Luanne Hall, who is, uh, lives and works uh, in and around Amptill, who d- didn't want to go. She was dead against the, um, the lap dancing club. Uh, but she went. And I think, isn't that interesting? Thank you, Luanne. She didn't want to go. Wasn't particularly keen on going. But she went to check it out and to understand what she was complaining about. People don't do that, do they? People complain about things without having seen that film, without having been to that place. And she went and had a go. Thank you, Luanne. Here's the uh, latest from the Jam Cams with Sophie. So we tweeted about this thing about d- d- skips and, and rubbish dumps. I went to the rubbish dump at the weekend, had a massive clear out of my loft. Uh, and it's one, we're moving, and so we just didn't want to take any junk with us, okay? And clearing out the loft, a cluttered loft is a cluttered mind. I got rid of so much stuff. If it had been in that loft for two years or more and had not been touched, it was gone. Yes, I got rid of my um, Dragon 32 and BBC microcomputers. Yes, I did. I did that. I gave them away. Uh, and yes, I got rid of so much stuff. But I went to the dump, okay? And I got rid of this gorgeous, huge poster. It's about it's about a 60s, obscure 60s rock band, Arthur Lee and Love, okay? And I was walking really slowly with it outwards because I knew someone would want it. Three blokes rushed up to me. You getting, uh, you getting rid of that, mate? I'll have that. I left them almost literally coming to blows over it. Wonderful. So what have you found in skips, in dumps... In bins. James Brown, not that James Brown, no, not that one. Yes, that one has tweeted me. Ask Owen Blackhurst about his skip work. What, what does that mean, James? What skip work has Owen Blackhurst done? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Joe's in Letchworth. Morning, Joe. 
Good morning, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Christmas is in my brain, Joe. It's that final week. It's uh, that mad rush of getting everything done, isn't I, it? I've got it. I've got it all done. I've got, I've got my secret Santa present. Good man. Yeah, good man. Uh, and I'll, I'll go into details later in the week about how I came across it. Let's just say the rules were bent slightly, but I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> I've got pretty much all... I've got all the Christmas presents for the family. Yeah, I've got to get a couple of presents for the team here. Yeah, that's right, team. Some of you might be getting presents. Some of you. Don't look at me, Ollie, because you're not. Um, you're only work experience. Uh, and I know you won't be able to give me one back. Uh, but, but I'm in a Christmassy mood, Joe. Uh, but, but skips and rubbish dumps and, and, and getting stuff from it. People throw away gold, don't they? Of course they do. I mean, like I say, one's man, one man's junk is another man's, another man's treasure. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> not at this time in the morning. No. I haven't had my first coffee yet, so... Good lad. I, I, yeah, I need, a, I need a, a stiff one. But go on. So what have you got? What, what have you collected? Eight genuine, very large terracotta pots. <laughs> Proper. Not the, the terracotta that you buy from big suppliers, no. big garden centres, um, that are cheap, because when they're in wintertime, they, they sort of shale off and break off on the side. Yeah. A genuine... Um, a genuine terracotta pot will survive any weather, and they're very, very expensive. And I got eight of them. Eight. Where, where was this from? A dump? Yes, it was um, on the way from Welling to St Albans. There was a, there was a, a tidy tip there, and yeah. just as I was going in, and I mean, I was getting rid of some car batteries, obviously. I had to dispose of them properly. Of course you do, of course, yes. As I'd done that, yeah. this lady pulled up, and she was just oh. getting rid of them. And I said, you know, are you throwing those away? She goes, oh, yeah. She goes, you know, I'm just... I'm on my own now, so my husband used to do all of this, but now I can't do it. I said, look... Yeah, you know, single, single I, women can't be responsible for terracotta, can they? <laughs> so I said to her, if you don't want them, um, I'll t- quite happily take them off you. And she goes, oh, yeah, just help yourself. And I, and I said, you know, are, are they terracotta, terracotta pots? And she said, yes, they're genuine terracotta pots. Wowzers. And I've had those for about six years. They're fantastic. Beautiful. And they're worth an absolute fortune. It's, That's the thing. The, prob- the problem I find, when, when I was a kid, and you could go to the dump, and it was all just there. It was, it was, it was a landfill, so you just chuck it in this, on this big pile, and you could see stuff, and you could root around. And we would, me and my dad would go rooting around, looking for stuff. Nowadays, you can't, because they have teams of people watching everything that goes in. Yeah. So if you want to pick up that um, old black and white TV, you've got to do it a little bit on the sly. I used to go and get uh, spare bike parts when I had my, my chopper when I was when I was a kid. Um, but again, we, we, you could do that in. You could go and you could go on to dumps and and help yourself and get pretty much grab what you want. But nowadays, everything's sort of segregated, oh, and there's man. people there that just say no. You know, they won't let you obviously for health and safety reasons. They won't let you go anywhere near it. Oh, the hev- stick health and safety up your backside. <laughs> I want I want to climb into those big metal containers and root around it. I can see I can see some VHS videos in there. Let me go and have a look at the videos, please. Oh, and Betamax. I oh I- man. <laughs> Joe, you've got me all nostalgic. Thank you very much. Join Letchworth. Some terracotta pots. Nikki Milton Keynes has texted in eight one three double three, starting her text three CR. I, what, sorry? I picked up my husband from a skip. I kid you not. We were both helping out with a community project. He was on a skip when I found him. Well, there you go, you see. Anyone ever found a cardboard cutout of someone from a skip? I have done. Chuck Norris. Cardboard cutout of Chuck Norris on a skip years ago. It was a little bit damp, but I took that home, much to the, <laughs> the delight of my mother. 08459 455 555. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 
We can get the latest from Newtown in Connecticut now, where just a few hours ago, President Obama met with the relatives of the 26 vic- victims of the Sandy Hook school shootings. He then spoke during an emotional vigil at a school in the town uh, and said the US had to do more to protect its children in the wake of the tragedy. He said there was no excuse for inaction. We can't tolerate this anymore. These tragedies must end. And to end them, we must change. We will be told that the causes of such violence are complex, and that is true. No single law, no set of laws, can eliminate evil from the world or prevent every senseless act of violence in our society. But that can't be an excuse for inaction. There are also more details about the shootings emerging this morning. Police have said there were hundreds of bullets found at the school, and the first of the funerals for the 20 children killed in the shootings will take place today. We can cross now to Connecticut and speak to our reporter, Gavin Lee, who's in Newtown for us morning, this morning. Morning, Gavin. Uh, you could hear members morning. of the crowd crying during the president's speech. They're very emotional for everyone, really. What, 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 tell us what he said. Yeah, in fact, when he arrived at the Newtown itself, you go up this fairly steep hill, and it's a pretty well-heeled area in the U.S., quite affluent, lots of nice houses, pretty shops with um, flowers and tributes in the windows, actually saying, please pray for us or please pray for the children. He stopped at the same place I stopped at, which was a massive shrine. There are dozens of makeshift shrines, actually, with flowers and teddy bears and personal letters from other children here, but there's one where everybody gathers up because it is so huge uh, and stopped and then carried on. And the first thing he said when he got into to the high school itself was that whatever he said having seen what he'd seen and how people feel about this he was mindful that his words could never match the sorrow of the parents and he spent minutes going through the names of each of the six and seven year old children then the teachers at the school making a point of giving everyone a personal tribute who died and you could hear that's when the members of the family started weeping when he said that and he talked about the brave teachers the head teacher who dived and tried to Mm. um, throw herself really at the attacker then he spoke about um, the teachers that kept the children quiet waiting for the good guys he said and the teacher that said show me your smile Um, he also for me spoke the most forceful he ever has before about wanting to stop this happening again i was in fort hood in texas in 2009 after the shooting of 13 soldiers there Uh, he was clearly angry then but there's no sense of this should change or the gun laws should change today he said things have to change in my presidency he said i want people to know that the price america is paying for freedom is too much now the freedom people have been talking about for the last week is you know the second amendment the right to bear arms so you do wonder after the funerals this week, whether this is going to be a subject that he really takes up and really for the first time has a, you know, a presidential debate and takes it to Congress. What else, Gavin, has emerged about the shootings today? Some really disturbing details about what happened from the police, which I think they found difficult to explain today, that they confirmed the gunman, as we thought, was Adam Lanza. Uh, They said his mother was shot four times in the head, that each of the children were shot multiple times uh, as well. He broke into the school through a window, and that he had hundreds of bullets which were used, and there were still hundreds of rounds left that weren't used, and they believe he stopped shooting and turned the gun on himself because he heard police sirens arriving at the school. And ultimately, the motive um, they've said is something that they are working on perhaps hours perhaps it'll take days to get a sense of what really went on oh man it's the saddest story as well if you've got the front page of the sun it's got the pictures of all the kiddies that were shot and it's just the saddest thing but th- th- despite all these awful details you kind of alluded to it earlier th- there are uh, in- incredible stories of, of bravery emerging aren't there 
Yeah. You know, this is the one thing that I'm sure around the world people, you know, w want to hear, and certainly in Newtown people talk about. They talk about the music teacher that I mentioned took 15 of her children, hid them in a closet for, you know, half an hour, wouldn't even let the police in, had to get the police to show their ID. The maths teacher that took them, uh, 14 of her six- and seven-year-old pupils into the toilets, told them to, to keep hiding. President Obama also mentioned a little boy who said, I know karate, I'll lead us out of here. And, and he made that the last part of his speech, actually. I think he wanted to make sure those people were remembered. Oh dear, Gavin. Listen, thank you very much indeed. Uh, it's, it's just the saddest story, isn't it? And it's, it's one of those things you can kind of distance yourself. I've got shivers down my spine. You can kind of distance yourself from it a bit, and it's just, you know, another crazy shooting in America. But then you look at the front page of, uh, of The Sun, and it's just all these, these little kiddies. You know, they're six and seven years old. Oh, it's the saddest thing in the world. On the back of that, and uh, we won't dwell too much on the details of it because it is such a grim story, uh, on the back of that, it, it's got to be time, hasn't it, for, for America to change their gun laws? They, they, they can't keep them as they are. No, they, they, there cannot be anybody listening to this right now who thinks America have got it right when it comes to, to everyone having guns, when you, the, the right to, to bear arms. 08459 455 555. Is there anybody listening to this? Who thinks that the gun laws in America are fine? Hey, it's fine. No, we'll keep it as it is. What are you complaining about? Or do you agree with me? They've got to be changed, haven't they? They've got to be tightened. It's insane to uh, uh, allow their gun laws to stay as slack as they are. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Coming up in the next 30 minutes, if you've been driving on the M1, M25, M40 motorways... I want to know whether you think the speed limit on motorways should be increased. The Transport Secretary is playing down the chances of the government increasing the speed limit to 80 miles per hour. And what tips do you have for younger people looking for work? A scheme in Stevenage, which uses mentors to help people get jobs, is proving to be a success. And what have you liberated from rubbish dumps, skips and bins? So far, we've had a husband, we've had an accordion, we've had a gnome and some terracotta pots. 08459... Four double five five double five. You can text eight one three double three. Start your text three CR, or go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC three CR. Now, are you happy with the speed limit on the motorway? Seventy miles an hour it feels a bit slow, doesn't it? Does anyone really? I, I don't think people drive at seventy miles an hour anyway. They would drive much faster. Would you prefer it to be legal to drive at eighty miles an hour? Well, the Transport Secretary, Patrick McLaughlin, has played down the chances of the government increasing the speed limit on motorways to 80 miles per hour. Philip Hammond, when he was Transport Secretary, said the move would generate hundreds of millions of pounds of economic benefits through shorter journey times. But his successor, Patrick McLaughlin, seems cool with the idea. There's work being done at the moment by the department on which roads this might be uh, tried out on in a, uh, a trial period, but uh, I won't do anything which puts at risk road safety. There's been a few other things on my desk uh, over the past uh, few weeks at the Department of Transport since I've been there, and I've been concentrating on those. Well, Neil Gregg is the Director of Policy and Research from the uh, Advanced Institute of Motorists. Morning, Neil. Good morning. You've been looking into this. What are the benefits of increasing the speed? The benefits are entirely down to the time savings. And if you've got a really busy motorway like the M1, those can really mount up. If people are just saving a couple of minutes, and it really just does come down to a couple of minutes, but if you divide that over a lot of people, it does actually uh, come out to, to be quite a good saving. But against that, the government's own reports show that there would be 20 extra deaths a year 
from this proposal. So it is a balance between people perhaps losing a few more lives and a lot of people saving a little amount of time. Would there really be more people dying? Because, Neil, I, I very rarely see anybody sticking to 70 miles an hour on the motorway. Well, that's what the experts at TRL told the government, uh, and I think, you know, they, they, they've obviously got their way of looking at these things. It's all about the fact, if you're going faster, mm. if you have to stop, you need longer, you will be hitting people harder, that kind of thing, that may, may be leading to it. But overall, it is about uh, very small time savings, and, and, and that very few people have really been pushing for this sort of idea amongst the road safety fraternity, although it is actually quite popular. Our IEM membership survey showed that 70% of IEM members would actually support an increased 80 miles per hour. How does it work in Germany? Am I right in saying that they've got no speed limit on the motorways? In Germany, it's, it is totally... Uh, there are certain stretches, and I think this is where it, it's quite interesting. We recently did some work in Holland, and in actual fact, they've only increased the speed limit on specific, really modern, really mm. straight, really actually very quiet motorways. Uh, the busy ones, the equivalent, the Dutch equivalent of the M25, uh, they haven't actually pushed the speed up at all because they realise that it just, you know, the chance of being able to do that, uh, unless it's the early hours of the morning, actually very limited uh, and and th- th- has that led to more accidents do you know neil it's only been in, since september of right. this year in holland so it's too early to say they say not but uh, we're waiting we're watching it very carefully it's, it's it's if you like the most directly equivalent example of somebody putting the speed limit up but as i say they haven't put it up everywhere and what we said to the government was you know let's have a pilot let's have a trial that's what they did in holland they, they tried it out in a few select stretches to see how it worked we haven't done that yet here i think the best way perhaps if the government do want to take this forward is to have a trial somewhere so we see how it works in the real world why are they kind of changing their tone slightly because i remember six months ago this was almost definitely going to happen and now it's like well we'll see it's interesting. I think they've been surprised at how little support they've had. Uh, I think perhaps they expected some sort of, you know, it was part of a, an end of the war on the motorist. It was, mm. it was pushed as a very positive story. I think they've just been, the, the problem is, I think it's actually down to the economy. People I just can't afford to drive much faster. No. They're really struggling with high fuel prices. This adds to your CO2 emissions, for example, so it, it means they won't meet targets on CO2 emissions. You know, it, it really is a lot of hassle for very little change to say just a couple of minutes on a, on a journey. Hello likely is it to happen? How likely are they to trial this? Well, I think we're getting some real strong hints now that perhaps they're, that they're, they're backing off. As I say, we would still welcome a trial just to see how it works in the UK, because you can't really, you know, equate entirely with what's going on in Europe. But I think the fact that the, the, the Minister is saying that it's not a top priority. But then, of course, you know, transport ministers come and transport ministers go. We could have a new one in another couple of months with a totally different attitude. Neil Gregg, uh, Director of Policy and Research from the Advanced Institute of Motorists. Thank you very much indeed. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, an incredible year of sport was celebrated at the XL Arena in London last night with the BBC's Sports Personality of the Year. Bradley Wiggins won the title, which is voted for by the public. The Olympic heptathlon champion Jessica Ennis was runner-up and grumpy Scotch tennis player and Olympic gold medalist Andy Murray came third. Martine Wright from Hertfordshire was given the Helen Rollison Award. It's given in the name of the former BBC sports presenter for outstanding achievement in the face of adversity. Well, sports presenter Mike Naylor was there. You have a bit of a jolly last night, Mike, did you? No, I paid my £55 ticket a year. Gold? Uh, what? Got back at 1am because uh, our great friends at London Midland Train Company cancelled the 11.34 from Euston <laughs> because they couldn't get a crew. So, uh, yes, not much sleep. Ouch. 
fifty-five pounds. I would have thought you would have been on a on, on a freebie. No, even one of my sports editors at BBC in Salford had to pay that as well. But uh, I mean, it, I think wow. it was well worth it. The buzz was there in the crowd as we got off the trains at five o'clock. It's an incredible arena, seventeen thousand people, and there's about three times the space that holds that in uh, the rooms off that arena. And I think probably you know, in the fifty-nine years of sports personality of the year, this was the best sporting year of achievement and probably the best programme that the BBC's put together as well. Quite often, these, these sports person of the year awards, they're, they're a little bit flat, aren't they? They, they can be a little bit stilted. I, I'm guessing from what you're saying, it wasn't like that last night. Well, absolutely not. You know, we were on our feet just about every time somebody came to receive an award or was nominated, all the 12 people, uh, you know, that were in the shortlist were, that got standing ovations. And when the videos uh, were shown to the audience at home, pre-recorded films of their achievements, again, there was a lot of noise and genuine warm applause, you know, that you wouldn't have heard last night. And uh, I have to say, 1.6 million people voted. That's five times the total of votes that were cast last year when Mark Cavendish won. Some debate on the BBC website this morning saying that uh, they were phoning from a landline and they couldn't get through and they got a kind of pre-recorded message. You have to remember the voting was only uh, allowable for about 40 minutes, Mm. 9.30. When you consider how the X Factor operates on a Saturday night after the show and then you have almost 24 hours to go on voting until the results show on Sunday. So the BBC did much better and I'm glad that, you know, an award of this stature and magnitude was able to to garner so many votes last night and uh, Bradley Wiggins, the winner, got over 30% of the votes. A total of 492,000 people voted for him. You have to feel sorry, I think, a bit sorry for for Mo Farah, though, double gold medalist. Who's he? Yeah. Yesterday's hero. You know. The, I think we're all tired. It's the Mobot, Mike. I think if he just let the Mobot go, then we might be on his side. The Mobot is a really annoying thing to be doing. Tell us more about Martine Wright from Hertfordshire, who won the, the Helen Rollison Award. What, what was she recognised for? She was uh, recognised for her bravery and her courage. Remember, she was in London on that terrible day on the 7th of July 2005, the day after uh, London knew that he had got nominated to, to, to run the Games, and she had both legs amputated. She was in a tube train that was bombed. She lives in the next street from me, where I'm looking out from my house in Tring, actually. She'll be asleep now, I guess. And uh, she's <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit creepy, Mike. You're spying on her sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she, she recovered with uh, the fantastic help that she got at Stoke Mandeville Hospital to then make it into the Paralympic uh, team at uh, sitting volleyball. And she played a part in that. And uh, she got an absolutely amazing, amazing mm. reception. And I would just like to pay tribute to her as providing one of the best speeches. You know, it was a celebration of sport, sporting achievement and talent, and people say that maybe to be an elite sports person you have to be a bit selfish and self-centred. That may be true, but what came out last night was the, the sheer sort of charm and graciousness mm. and humility of all those people. They were fantastic role models. As somebody tweeted, uh, you know, football seemed almost an irrelevance last night, and mm. Martine Wright was so, so positive, obviously praising her uh, people who helped her recover physically and her family and friends, but you know, She was so positive about the fact that she'd been through a horrendous bombing and was so lucky to survive. And she was so positive and said she'd been blessed in doing that, almost, and she dedicated her trophy to the, sadly, the 52 people who lost their lives. And I thought that was a remarkable Mm. speech, Ian. I I went to... I didn't go to the Olympics. I went to the Paralympics, and I saw the sitting volleyball. It's my new favourite sport. It's it's, it's volleyball where you can sit down. It's wonderful. Obviously, it's not quite as easy as I'm making it sound. It's ridiculously intense and, and hard work. But what a fantastic sport. 
absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, we, we were in the Excel Arena last night where the boxing took place. Mm. Adams was there. Anthony Joshua from Watford was there, of course. And, uh, you know, you can imagine the noise that would have been generated during those fights. I mean, obviously, the three counties did fantastically uh, in uh, winning golds. You know, Laura Trott, two, Vicky Pendleton and Greg Rutherford, Etienne Stott, and Charlotte Jardine, who's now based in uh, Cheltenham, I think. She uh, won two in equestrian, and she originally came from uh, Leighton Buzzard. The only small gripe I'd have about the show was that the gymnastics achievements, winning a team goal, um, uh, medal and also uh, Louis Smith getting an individual medal, that was kind of rather glossed over. But mm. other than that, and Louis Smith, of course, big on uh, Strictly, didn't uh, get to speak at all. But other than that, I think, uh, you know, everybody was very well satisfied. And, and reading most of the comments in uh, on, on the BBC website this morning, people genuinely, I think, think that Bradley Wiggins was a winner. I have to say that uh, one of the biggest standing ovations came for the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award by Sebastian Coe. That was just 24 hours after he attracted a lot of abuse on the BBC website, saying he was smug and so on and so forth. But, you know, to put on what we did, and I think it was really a three-hour celebration of what Britain did best just four months ago, and it was a sparkling, glittering, glittering night. It was, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, and it was fantastic just to be there, really. Mike, listen, thank you very much. I can hear the cat in the background. Go and feed it, and we'll, <laughs> we'll speak to you later on. Cheers. Cheers. There we go. Mike Naylor, who was uh, a sports presenter, who was at the uh, Sports Personality of the Year last night. Wiggins was obviously going to win, wasn't he? There was, there was no danger of anyone getting close. Uh, fantastic achievement. Um, but yeah, the, the Mobot. Mo Farah dropped the Mobot. The Mobot is a complete... It, oh, it's just... It, it's just so tedious. You don't need it, Mo. You're a, you're a fast lad. You're an interesting lad. You've got an amazing story. You don't need to do, do the golden arches over your head, for goodness sakes. 08459 455 555. Don't forget, you can, of course, go and have your say on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Pedophiles, terrorists and fraudsters. It's a great line, isn't it? Uh, a unique scheme in Stevenage to help young people back into work is already proving a bit of a success. So far, three people have found employment as a result of the Job Centre Plus funded project. Each trainee has a mentor to help them improve. I should be a mentor. I don't know. I don't know, quite know who I'd mentor or what I'd mentor them in, as I'm pretty rubbish at most things. But I must have a skill that would be useful as, as a mentor. Probably not. Anyway, each trainee has a mentor to help them improve their CV and interview skills. I couldn't do that. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, has been along to the last session of the year at the Bedwell Community Centre, where actors were helping to build their confidence. Well, the idea came up from some of the residents that we had at a scheme called Wellfield Court, which is for mainly young homeless women. Um, We were doing some work with them, and they said that they felt that it was really difficult to get into the workplace and learn to get more confident and um, learn some skills to get on. So we started looking at getting grant for this. We approached Job Centre Plus, Flexible Support Grant. They came in, they liked the look of the scheme, and they awarded the grant money on the basis that we'd put through at least 12 young people under 25 before the end of March. So we set the programme up by talking to the customers down there but to be fair most of the ones that have come through have been young people through Job Centre Plus and you've got five people here three people have already gone yes. off and got, yes. got, got, got jobs yes they have and the five so already it's proving a success yes, yes definitely definitely 
and I think you'll find the young people have definitely enjoyed the experience and they've definitely grown personally throughout the, the last eight weeks or so. And this is the only scheme, as we know, of its kind in the country at the moment? Yes, as far as we know. I know Job Centre Plus like the scheme and they're hoping that we can roll it out further after we've run this pilot. Tony Fisher there um, reporting. Or well, Steve Perry is from Job Centre Plus in Beds, Hearts, uh, Beds and Hearts. Morning, Steve. Good morning. And How are you? Sa- I'm good, thank you. And Sarah Ellis is the artistic director of the Hyperfusion Theatre Company, who you heard at the beginning of the report. Morning, Sarah. Morning. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Christmassy, Sarah. Are you feeling well Christmassy? I was supposed to. My wife. Sorry, Steve and Sarah, let me go off on a tangent. My wife went out yesterday and I said, Oh, I'm going to wrap all of the presents. Of course, I didn't. I just watched DVDs all day, so I'm going to be in trouble. But. Shame on you. I'm feeling Christmassy. Now, Sarah, we heard you facilitating that group. What sort of techniques do you use to try and bring out the, the confidence in these people? Um, well, uh, we use lots of theatre techniques, basically. Uh, what um, Theatre is all about communication, negotiation, um, and confidence, etc. So we use pure theatre techniques just to get people to relax, to respect and enjoy what they love about themselves and other people around them, really. Do you think that this is going to imbue them with some sort of confidence? They're going to be more confident in interview situations? Without a doubt, yeah, because we, you know, lots of us have lots to offer, but I think that there are many different parts of society and and parts of life experience that can really knock people's confidence. So what we do is we just kind of feed that back in, to be honest. We have a very safe atmosphere. We do lots of playing, lots of laughing, um, but lots of learning skills as well. Well, many, many years ago, I studied performing arts, and we Ah. did that... You don't... You don't do that terrible trust game, do you, where you get someone to fall back and they all catch you? Yeah, I do. Oh, actually, I hate that enough. one! I don't trust anybody <laughs> enough to catch me! But then if you were there and that's how you felt, then I wouldn't go near it. Good. So one of the things that, that I've been doing this for, for, you know, 25 years now, um, one of the things that, that we do very well is gauging the group. So, for instance, when we were working the other day, no, we wouldn't have dreamt of doing that. That would be for people that we'd spent a lot longer with. Yeah. Um, and also we would have fed a lot of stuff in to see if they were ready for that because you're right there's nothing worse than being thrown into trust exercises in a situation where you don't feel trusting actually that does more damage mm. to be honest you do work with you do work with uh, a lot of organization in Hertfordshire don't you we do yes yeah we do we um I, I, I started off um in Stevenage teaching in Stevenage a long time ago um and for some strange reason even though we're an Essex-based company I just get we get loads of work in Stevenage absolutely love the place it's great I think we've worked with most people um in the schools now as well as all their parents because we've been going for a little bit so how did this job scheme gig come up did you get in touch with them did they approach you how did it work well they approached us actually because uh, we've worked with stevenage homes before we uh, the first thing we did with them um we did uh, we're forum theater specialists so we're interactive theater specialists basically and we did a play for the more elderly residents of, of stevenage um uh, which uh, they were then involved in so that it was an interactive show and there was somebody with some issues to do with bereavement uh, somebody had lost their husband it was a really sad story um, and they had to help the character who was left um, to, to to help them and to give them support and everything so we call it a rehearsal for life basically that people can kind of practice what they can do if they're in a given situation um, we then did uh, Stevenage Holmes's uh, customer service 
uh, training as well, which was great fun. Actually looking at customer service, looking at how we communicate with other people, how we listen, how we deal with difficult customers, etc. So they felt that we were the ideal company to, to look at this for their, un, for their unemployment course that they've done. Steve, you're from Job Centre Plus. This was a pilot project. It been a bit of a success, I suppose. Is it going to continue? We very much hope so, yes. Uh, well, thanks so much for inviting me for talking to you this morning. Yes, the, the, this, the Stevens Home Initiative was actually the first flexible support fund grant funding award be made in Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire. And I do believe you're planning to run it again, aren't you, Sarah, in, in uh, February next year? Yes, yeah, and we're really excited, and we're hoping we're going to be um, there for more than one day, actually. So we're excited to be working with the team. The team are absolutely lovely. Um, so, yeah, we loved it. Looking forward to it in February again. Uh, Steve, is it right? It only costs about four grand or something, all of this. Uh, that's going to be worth it if it's getting people back into work. Absolutely. We, 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 can't, we can't say uh, how, how pleased we are for, to see the success of this because we know, as you said, that three, three customers of the eight who started this programme have found full-time employment. Another one's going to go into work experience, funnily enough, with Stevens Borough Council as a, as a direct result of this. We, we are very pleased to see this, this really successful event. It's great. Did you take part in any of the games, Steve? Personally speaking, alas, no. Oh, uh, Steve, get I in say, there! It'll be fun! Oh, Just I, you, I, throwing an invisible ball of energy around and I'm going zimza! Sure, Sarah, if I were to fall back, Done all that. catch me with both hands. Absolutely, Ooh, absolutely. Steady, I'm, I'm sure Sarah would catch anybody <laughs> with both hands. <laughs> I would indeed. Is it, Steve, is this going to be rolled out across the country? Well, these are individual projects. They're individual uh, bids that companies or businesses can make to help support you know, unemployed customers in the areas across the country. So, essentially, this idea well, will be shared across other Job Centre Plus districts as we share best practices around. And there's no reason to suspect similar, uh, uh, similar projects or things like this can happen elsewhere. But they are individual to each individual post- postcode area, so not necessarily identical, but certainly a brilliant idea. Steve, I've got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Can I be a mentor? Could you be a mentor? Yeah, of course. I'd, be, I'd, I'd be a wicked mentor. I think you would. Your energy sounds fantastic. I've got, I've got energy. I've got an excellent collection of karate films. Yes. Uh, I don't okay. know. I don't. I couldn't do any the practical stuff like writing CVs. I couldn't do that. But you know, I could. I've got. I've lived. I, I think anyone with, with anyone with work life experiences, work experience, help somebody. Somebody who has a little bit more to learn. So I'm serious. How, how would I go about doing that? What would I? What, what's what's the process to become if, a mentor? If you were going to be, for example, a mentor in this Stephen's Homes Initiative, you could you could go go contact the. the Borough Council. I think it's um, Maureen Herdman. She, off, she yeah. could put you in. She could put you in touch with that. Steve, listen. Thank you very much. Excellent stuff. Steve Perry from Job Centre uh, Plus and uh, Sarah Ellis from Hyperfusion, the theatre company. I felt I was getting fobbed off a little bit. There. I don't think Steve was taking my uh, application seriously. I d- honestly, it's something. Thank you, Steve. It's honestly it's something that I think. I sometimes think I could be a mentor. I've lived. I've lived. I used to be on the telly. Uh, this is not really living, but you know. But I, I wonder what I could contribute. Do you do it? If there's anybody listening who is a mentor, it is something, honestly, my tongue is slightly in my cheek, but it is something that has crossed my mind in the past. Because I have had life experiences. If you do it, if you're a mentor, and there are different ways you can do it, can't there? You can do it, as we heard in, in, in that scheme there in Stevenage for unemployed people. Quite often you can mentor uh, young people, young offenders, people who've come out of prison. Um, I'm not quite sure what other mentoring that there is. 08459 455 555. I know I'm speaking to a, a small minority of you now, but if you mentor, could you give me a call? How do you do it? Why do you do it? What do you get out of it? 08459 455 555. Uh, going back to the, uh, the gun, the gun subject after this, uh, this terrible tragedy in the States. Um, I've been saying, surely it's time for America to change their gun laws. Helen says, morning. 
the gun law has to change. It's no good just talking about change. They have to act and act now, or there will be more angels in heaven than on earth. Pat says, Ian, when we catch anyone with a knife or a gun, what do we do? We mainly just let them off with a caution, especially knife carriers. Anyone in government ever heard of the word punishment? We tend to go for reward rather than tackling criminals, and that should be mandatory. There should be mandatory sentences of 10 years for carrying firearms or weapons illegally. That should be the change in any law. 08459 And uh, the, the, the government was, you remember about six months ago, the government were pretty much saying we are going to increase the speed limit on motorways to 80 miles an hour. It's, it's, it's going to happen soon. Well, they're sort of backing away from that now, and I've been asking, what do you think about that? Tom has texted in 81333, starting his text 3CR. Higher speeds equals more fuel equals more tax and more spectacular accidents. Spend money on safer driving practices and bring back police on motorways. And Richard says, 80 miles per hour on motorways. In Germany and Holland, you have strict lane discipline. You are forbidden and get nicked, go drive... So, excuse me, let me try this. I'm going to try this with a run-up. Maybe I've missed something. In Germany and Holland, you have strict lane discipline. You are forbidden and get nicked, go driving on the overtaking lanes. Hmm. Here, everybody uses the overtaking lanes two and three. That's why we have so many accidents over here. Richard, I'm going to run that through the computer and come back with the translation shortly, but thank you for your input. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Catherine? Yeah. Thanks for that. You're welcome. I've decided we don't say thank you enough for things. Tomorrow I'm going to tomorrow I'm going to thank everybody that contributes to the show. We'll do that tomorrow. We'll have a thank you special. Well, I want to have a nice week this week. We've got really horrible news today with everything that's going on in the world and stuff. And it's the build-up to Christmas. I want to try and make this week as nice as possible. So tomorrow, remind me because I forget because I'm terrible, we're going to do thank you to everyone. Thank you to everyone on the team. Thank you to everyone who calls in. Everyone is going to get a thank you. Lots coming up in the last hour of the show, including do lap dancing clubs deserve their bad reputation? Well, our reporter, Serena Farrow, has been to the new one in Ampthill to get a behind-the-scenes look at what it's really like. I believe you have to pay extra for a behind-the-scenes look. President Barack Obama has said the US must do more to protect its children in the wake of Friday's shootings at a school in Newtown, Connecticut. Should America change its gun laws? And here's something... Where are the best and worst public loos in the three counties? We'll find out why more than £10 million in funding has been cut from public conveniences in the UK in the past two years. Want to know more? Want to argue with the other listeners? Want to see a photo of my beard? You can do. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. I'm worried. It looks a bit scruffy. and a bit bored of it now. You can also text 81333. Start your text 3CR. And we've got a few lines free, so now is an excellent time to give us a phone call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Mm-hmm. Been open for just two weeks, and Lap Dancing Club in Aptill has already dropped its prices. The entrance fee has been halved, and drink prices have also been reduced. Well, BBC Three Counties visited Shaler's on Saturday night, and in the space of two hours counted ten customers. Many residents and businesses feel the club is not in the right location in the heart of a quaint market town. Well, reporter Serena Farrow took three people along with her, Luanne Hall, Ree Bridges and Mike Ward. They all live or work around Ampthill and had different perceptions about what the club might be like. Luanne started by explaining why she was unhappy about the location of the club. I'm Luanne and I'm from Flittick. It's just whereabouts it is in the centre of Ampthill. There's a lot of residents in the centre. If they put it somewhere else on the outskirts, 
estates, the industrial estates, somewhere like that. Not got a problem with the lap dancing industry. My main concerns were the fact that it overlapped with the supermarkets opening hours until at nine o'clock because the entrance actually is in the supermarket car park. It's also overlaps with the children's dance school, which is virtually opposite. But it does overlap with family restaurants and eating hours. If it was open even slightly later, then you probably find that there might not be so much of an issue in town. However, it's the other end of it, the, the coming out hours um, until one o'clock in the morning, the noise abatement for all the local residents that I think is probably going to be the main c- cause of concern. I might, I haven't got any issues with, with lap dancing clubs as such. I've been to Smiles in Milton Keynes, but there again, it's in a much bigger, bigger area, a, a much bigger town. People live their lives how they want to live their lives. And if that entails going to these sort of places on a regular basis, then that's, that's what their life is all about. Free bridges. Oh, I'm well up for it. Yeah, the arguments that people have got about their children seeing it and stuff like that. Uh, the children shouldn't be out there at that time of night. And if they are out there at that time of night, they're older children and I'm sure they look at far worse things on the internet. But I mean, do you think as well there's people a little bit older so to them they're a little bit more prudish and it's kind of a bit outrageous having a strip club in the part of the town but they have to move with the times and everyone's out there to make a living it's not like they've got hookers on the corner of the street it's basically girls just dancing on the stage downstairs when no one can possibly see them they just need to shut their curtains and accept that it's going on and carry on watching their tellies well, Serena wasn't allowed to record while she was in the club, but Luan, Rhea and Mike gave their verdicts after they'd been in. It's a great place. Coming back. Brilliant, actually. I really enjoyed it tonight. At one point, there was only one bloke. I was quite surprised at the, shall we say, how slack trade was. There didn't hardly seem to be anybody there. I felt intimidated when I first walked in, but actually once I got sat down, I was all right. I did love everything. You're in awe of everything. I am. I can't wait to go back. We did say it was a little bit small, perhaps a little bit too intimate at times for you. And I'm all on myself, really. Excuse the pun. The women were almost on top of you because the poles are that close to you. It was smaller than than I expected. It was as big as about a tennis court, wasn't it? Actually, a bit of a bar really so I was watching the security and I was very surprised at that there wasn't no laxity in the way they was performing I do plan on coming back and having another look they weren't intimidating they were just all friendly it was non-intrusive you didn't feel like you had to watch the women on the pole did you find that amazing that a security guard has to watch yeah whether that would put people off actually going down there and having private dances I don't know I wouldn't pay £20 to have something like that and a security guard watching as well Perhaps a bit too seedy. Very seedy, yes. Yeah, I, I didn't particularly like the downstairs part of it, but up upstairs I, I felt fine. It very elegant bar. It is more what I'd expect in London than in Amptill. Were the women up to scratch? Very, very much. <laughs> didn't leave much to your imagination, but that's very pretty. I was dressed okay. <laughs> they were dressed, well, I don't even call it a dress really, but a little Santa's outfit with a, well, a yeah. skirt as short as a, my belt. I wouldn't say large. They were actually kind of, you know, a little bit... Yeah. Voluptuous. Voluptuous. Didn't feel like they were all sticking sex. I'm actually really glad I came, but I was really worried, very apprehensive. It's not a seedy joint, it's the way that it's been portrayed. 
if they didn't have the pole dancing every few minutes, then I'd go in there quite easily and just sit in there with a few mates and have a few drinks. Well, one of those we heard there was uh, Ree Bridges, who joins us now. Morning, Ree. Morning, Ian. You, you weren't that bothered. When you got the phone call saying, hey, do you fancy going to a lap dancing club? You were like, yep, go on, where and when? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I couldn't wait. Do you not think... Because the, the, the issue that a lot of people seem to have is the location of having it in Amptill. Is it appropriate to have something like that in, in a lovely, quaint old village? Um, well, as Serena said, um, we started off at another pub in Amp Hill. Um, now, I would say that that pub was far less appropriate for Amp Hill than the strip club. Why is that? <sighs> well, by nine o'clock, there were blokes that were on their hands and knees where they were so hammered with drink. Oh and my God. just Yeah, they were so, you know, I'm no snob, but they were awful. And it was nothing like that at the strip club. The strip club was, you know, it's quiet. It's tucked out the way, sort of in that car park. It's, yeah, I, I just think it's so much more, um, I actually think it's more family friendly than the pub that we started off in. Admission price has been halved after only two weeks. Prices of the drinks uh, uh, have dropped. It was pretty empty, wasn't it? It was empty. Yeah, I was actually quite surprised. And this was, a, this was Saturday? Yeah, yeah. Saturday, I think we got in there uh, about 10 o'clock um, Saturday night. And, yeah, I was expecting a few more people. But maybe, I mean, it's still only young. And, um, you know, it's coming up to Christmas. People are strapped for cash. Maybe after I really hope after Christmas, business picks up for them. Uh, w- would you go again, Ree? Uh, definitely. Well, OK. Well, Ree, thank you very much for what, what uh, didn't sound like a particularly painful mission for you. That's Ree Bridges, who went along with our reporter, Serena. Well, Becky Adams is a former madam who runs brothels uh, or ran brothels in Milton Keynes. Now, Electra, morning, Becky. Morning. It sounds like it was a bit quiet. Is Listen, we're all feeling the, the squeeze a little bit. I would imagine places like lap dancing clubs are going to be one of the first places to, to, to suffer, aren't they? Well, yes. Uh, actually, you know, over the last few years, the uh, interest in lap dancing clubs has actually gone down quite a lot. So, uh, you know, they were quite novel at one stage. But, um, yeah, they're, they're definitely not really as popular as they used to be. But uh, can I just say, you know, that I can really see this, uh, this argument from both sides. Mm. And, and your lovely lady who went in on Saturday, uh, she, she's, you know, she's absolutely right. I mean, I know from 20 years in the sex industry that the customers who visit lap dancing clubs, and I've spent many a night in one myself, are um, just really a cross-section of society and um, often in mixed groups. You know, it's really quite sort of normal for ladies to go in uh, as, as a mixed group and most lap dancing clubs are just a bar with a sort of a slightly different ambiance, I suppose, you know. And with um, pole dancing becoming so popular as a fitness, as a sort of fitness regime for ladies of all ages, it's often quite nice to go and watch a really, really good pole dancer kind of go through her moves. So I, I don't really understand that. I don't get lap dancing clubs, Becky, because the thought of going to see um, uh, uh, the hot ladies in not many clothes riding up and down a pole... It, I, it kind of... I don't quite get what... The, I, I can sort of get what the attraction is, but I, I would find it a frustrating experience. Well, well, I hate to say it, but that kind of maybe puts you into a slightly different category. Oh, mm. a good category or a bad category? <laughs> it depends oh. on your perception, because it's very obvious uh, from my experience that 
gentlemen who go to lap dancing clubs are not the sort of gentlemen who go to brothels. Right. And I know... Oh, I, I, <laughs> where, where are we going with this? I know, you let yourself in for that one, haven't well, you? Yeah. Be- because, um, obviously, you know, there are gentlemen who go and like to watch ladies dance and like to sort of communicate yes. with ladies um, and, and spend an evening with a group of friends. Um obviously are happy to pay the money to watch dancing if you actually want to have sexual services you don't bother yeah. with a lap right. dancing stop me there i didn't yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't say i wanted to go and pay for sexual services becky i don't know how you've extrapolated into that <laughs> it's but it is completely true Cus- cus- mm, lap no. Dancing, <laughs> no it's not <laughs> <laughs> just because I, I find lap, i would find a lap dancing place uh frustrating doesn't mean i want to go and have, have no, it I'll, I'll let i'll let you off that one but it, it does just sort of bring me to my point there that yes. lap, lap dancing clubs have different customers yes. to to uh you know places that provide sexual that, that provide you with the and lady ladies who work in lap dancing clubs are not escorts you know very rarely do ladies who work in lap dancing clubs ever want to yeah. or will provide sexual services could, could we ag- agree that, that, that there are the two categories of, of gentlemen you say those who want to go to lap dancing those who want to go to brothels could there be a third category that i might fall into that wants to do neither of those things is that yeah absolutely Becky, well, we... as, as, the, as the poor old club shows you know yep. lots of people don't there want to do we, either we dodged <laughs> we dodged that uh, that escort shaped bullet thank you very much becky uh, adams uh, who she ran brothels in milton Keynes. she's now a lecturer what do you think uh, Catherine Boyle, don't send me messages on the computer calling me a perv. This has all got terribly out of hand. I tell you what, let's just ignore what just happened. We'll cut it out of the iPlayer. We'll never mention it ever again. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Ree. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Hello. Hello. How are you? I was wondering, you know, um, we exchanged presents on the Boxing Day special that we've recorded. Yes. The festive face-off goes out Boxing Day between 7 and 9 in the morning. I don't know why it's, it's, it's given But anyway, it's, it's going to be good. We exchange presents. I, I won't say what it is, mm. but I was just wondering, did you keep the receipt? Uh, no. Why? You want to take my present back? No, no I just want the... That's rather unkind. I don't want to take it back. I just want... a grateful thing to say. I just want the full package. Right, including the receipt. Yes. So you can go get the money. Yes. No. Ah. <laughs> That's disappointing. Fancy saying, can, have you still got the receipt? I put a lot of thought into that gift. I think you just had it left over from someone else, didn't you? Possibly. It's <laughs> <laughs> so naughty. I know. Listen, it, it, it's, it, it's a week. We've both got time coming off. I've got a week off. You've got three weeks off. This is the last week, OK? So it's like yes. the last week of term. It is. And I, on Friday, I did that thing. I've done it too early. I've kind of let go a bit. Oh. I've sort of let go a bit, which means I'm feeling a little bit not that bothered, really. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people are in that kind of mood. Yes. Uh, yes. Did, you, did you brace the shops this weekend? No. Can I just say, anyone that goes shopping in shops for Christmas presents is a loser. Do you know what I was shopping for this weekend? Not Christmas presents, I've got that. Okay. Suntan lotion. Oh, you're, because, you're smooth. You know, because I've got, I'm going Literally. off uh, on my holes and I'll need suntan lotion... No, hardly anywhere it's got suntan lotion and the places that sell it it's a fortune <laughs> 15 16 pounds for a bottle of uh, suntan lotion just risk it no you get it at the airports at the air no it's really expensive there oh man alive <laughs> you're off i can't believe it I'm, I'm quite jealous of you now are you room for one more room for a little one well you're not that little are you I'd need a very big suitcase to get you in it <laughs> i wonder if anyone has actually smuggled someone in a suitcase no, but I was watching Border Control on Sky TV yesterday and someone tried to smuggle a snake. Wowzers. 
Uh, listen, it's, it's serious stuff on the show today. It What's is. coming up? Yes, on the big phone this morning from nine. Um, can anyone really be trusted to own a gun? President Barack Obama has told relatives of the 26 people killed at Sandy Hook Elementary School that mass shooting tragedies must end. Speaking at a vigil in memory of the victims, the president told an emotional audience, Newtown, you are not alone. Mm. Well, I think the whole world, really, this weekend has been watching absolutely shocked and horrified with what happened in America. I mean, it truly was awful, absolutely awful. The Americans have this attitude, don't they, that, that they kind of have a right to own a gun mm. and that it's something they have protected for, for many, many years. We, of course, have a different attitude, although some people do own guns in this country. We fired guns, of course. We've, we've we did both, fire we've guns. Partaken and in I don't it, know whether you've... Have you thought back to that yes, have, at yeah. all yeah. in terms of... Um, because I just wonder whether what has happened in America, does it show that no one can be trusted to own a gun? It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Mm. If you've got that gun in your house, you can't always say that somebody coming into your house wouldn't use that gun. You can't always say mm. that one of your grown-up children wouldn't take that gun. So can anyone truly be trusted to own a gun from nine this morning i want to hear your views if you own a gun and there are lots of people in beds hearts and bucks that do have guns in their homes mm. do you think that you can truly be trusted to have that gun in your house i'm not saying that you would go out and do something uh, like this this man in america has done but how can you how can you always guarantee that your gun will be safe if it's in your home oh eight four five nine four double five five double five can anyone really be trusted to own a gun we'll discuss it from nine jonathan thank you very much i look forward to listening to that on fm am and online bbc three counties radio Well, it's a, a discussion that we're going to continue uh, now. President Obama, as you've heard, has met relatives of victims of the massacre at a school in Connecticut. The gunman, Adam Lanza, shot his mother dead and then killed six members of staff and 20 children at Sandy Hook School on Friday. He then killed himself. So this morning, I guess the question that we're asking on this show is, is it time for America to throw away their guns? Joining us now is Joe Kelly. He's chairman of the National Shooting Association. Morning, Joe. Good morning. It's got to be time for America to get rid of their guns, isn't it? No, not at all. I, I think that uh, whenever there's a terrible tragedy, and we're all gutted, obviously, uh, to, with the news from America, and feel sympathise with all the people concerned, but it's, it's never a time to, 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 to come up with legislation because do it, people for the, do it for the wrong reasons from an emotional point of view. They've got to study it and look at the underlying reasons why these things Joe, happen. 26 people were killed, including... I've got, I've got a picture on the front page of The Sun of about 15 little kiddies that were killed. I agree with you. And, just, and we had a terrible tragedy in, in uh, Dunblane. But the point was that, uh, that uh, Dunblane... There was a massive cover-up after Dunblane which didn't serve any useful purpose at all. And, in fact, there are more guns... There was a ban after Dunblane in this country of pistols and other weapons. But uh, there are more guns in the country now with illegal uh, ownership than there ever were but, with, with, with uh, legalised But guns. they're illegal. They're illegal. So it's against the law. And when those guns are found, they're destroyed and the people that own them are, are prosecuted. Amer surely America's culture, though, Joan, you say, well, you can't do it immediately after. And I can sort of understand that because you're right. People perhaps aren't thinking as clearly as they should. But there was... A shooting that 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 nutter who went into the Batman screening. When was that? That was this year. Then there was a shooting yeah. last year. You've got the, the, there's always they're always having these massacres in the states. Yeah, but I, I, I can I repeat again. 
people have got to study the underlying reasons why that happened. What, what are the underlying band, reasons? Me, if they if they banned guns in America, yeah. they would never get guns off the street. A minister stated here after Dunblane that they've got guns off the streets of Britain. They haven't. There are more guns, but they're all illegal now. Okay, and when you say when you said that they, when they're found, they're destroyed. They'll never destroy all of them. Okay, Somebody estimated Joe. there were three million. Uh, illegal guns in the country t- 10 years ago Joe. after the ban on guns over Joe. here. Banning guns doesn't help. Joe, I'm going to interrupt. It, it, Joe, I'm going to inter- Joe, can you, can you hear me? To be looked at by st- can, knowledgeable can you hear me? Understand these things. Can you hear me? Pardon? Joe, yes. you keep talking about the underlying reasons that this happened in the States. What are they? The, the, well, the, uh, psychological and psychiatric uh, problems with people for a start and... Uh, access for those people to get uh, to get access to guns but anyone can get a gun in the states pardon pardon anyone can get a gun in the states that that, that is so so well, if you change I, I that attitude towards it joe then it would stop people with psychological uh, problems from getting them well it's always it's always very simple for people to suggest uh, uh, we'll ban guns after a situation like that but you can take it from me that doesn't work so they've got to look at something else well, okay what other what other solution would you come up with then to stop stop, stop 15 20 kids getting shot you will never be able to stop it. In fact, there's a man far cleverer than I am, a f- Professor Eastman, who has studied this in a big way and is a very, quite an expert in this field. He said that you will never stop this happening, that every now and again something like this will happen. So that's, that's all right, then, that this happens every now and then? Of course it's not right. It's, it's, it's not. Then we have, it's, Joe, we have to, Joe, we have to do... I'm shouting because you can't hear me. Uh, uh, we, uh, that's right. I'm glad you are because it's a bad line and I can... OK. Yeah. OK, in that case it, I will. Joe, we have to do something, then. We have to make some effort we have to do something to make it harder for people to go on these killing sprees we have to make it harder we can't just leave things as they are well no but there are other there are other factors what are you going to do with the, the greatest cause of uh, uh, natural deaths in this country were two doctors who killed about 400 people with the hypodermic uh, what has that got to do with anything it has of course it it's has. got nothing to do with guns to, uh, you're, got, you're looking at the weapon. You've got to look at the people behind the weapon. Yeah, but if we remove... I feel silly shouting. If we remove the weapon... I'm not angry. I'm just, it's just because you can't hear me. If we remove the weapon, then we're making it a of little course, bit harder. Yes, we have. But you tell me that that is a physical impossibility. You cannot remove the weapons. They're trying to remove the weapons in this country, and there are more guns than ever in this country. Joe Kelly, thank you very much indeed, Chairman of the National Shooting Association. I, I wasn't angry. Just Joe couldn't hear me. That's why it was, uh, I was shouting. He had a bad line. Uh, 08459-455-555. I don't, I don't know if Joe was perhaps getting my point. You're never going to completely ban guns and get rid of them. But you, in the States, you can get a gun. Anyone can get a gun. You go in a shop, you sign a form, you get a gun. OK? You have to make it harder, don't you? You have to make it harder. You have to make it as difficult as possible for these people to get guns and go on these, these killing sprees, don't you? If you, make no, if you just leave things as they are and accept the situation... That can't be right, can it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Andy's in Hatfield. Morning, Andy. Good morning. What do you think? Should, should, should America change its gun laws? Um, I don't think they'll ever take the guns away from them. I think the, the gun lobby in America is too powerful to do that. But perhaps they need to psychologically profile people who they're going to let have guns. Um, I think they should have done this country before they eventually took the firearms away from shooters in the UK. They didn't. 
It does. Um, it does kind of make sense, doesn't it? That you, that, that you should at least be that there should be some psychological psychological testing. It wouldn't have helped in this situation, though, would it? Because the guns belong to the the, the lad's mum. Exactly. The same situation in this country. I mean, I, I, I admit I was a shooter up until '96, and uh, I handed my guns in as soon as Tom, Thomas Hamilton did his thing. But what what thing was that? Sorry, Andy. The the horrible incident in Dunblane. That was Dunblane. Was that was that '96? I think it was '96. Yeah, if yeah. it was, you're right. You're right. Oh wow, that's, yes, wasn't that? And so that was enough for you to kind of hand your guns in and give up on being a shooter. Well, sort of. But the writing was on the wall. The prob- problem with it is that um, nobody was prepared to allow the police to charge more in this country to psychologically profile people. Mm. Um, there was always a cost involved. If someone someone wanted to renew their license, basically, you just pulled out a form and sent it back. And originally, uh, a policeman just kind of sat with you with another little chat and made sure that he didn't, didn't sit there with a cross-eyed look. Um, before he, he, he signed you off. Before he gave you the thumbs up. Well, there you go. Andy, listen, we're going to move on because we're running out of time. Thank you very much indeed. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. What are the best and worst public loos in the three counties? Ten million... All of my computer's just gone funny. Why has it done that? Hang on a second, don't worry, we're back. £10 million in funding has been cut from public conveniences in the UK in the past two years. Where am I going to take a pee? Where am I going to do a number two when I'm out and about? To be honest, I wouldn't use a public toilet for, for such a thing, to be honest. Uh, and there were tears on Strictly Come Dancing last night. Did you see it? I didn't. Don't worry, because eight-year-old Angus and five-year-old Edward from Flamstead, they did see it, and they're going to be joining me live in the studio to give me their verdict. And maybe they can explain just why um, the, the uh, girl allowed... Why everyone thought she was so good? I saw that dance and thought, I don't get it. I, I, I did, I was watching it, and I went, I could do that. I could do that. It's just moving your hands at the same time, isn't it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Public toilets. How often do you use them? Some of them. Some of them are really nice. Some. Oh dear. Are awful. And it could get worse because more than ten million pounds has been cut in funding from public conveniences in the past two years. It's posing a huge risk to public health. Well, that's according to the Union Unison. BBC Three Counties reporter Gareth Lloyd, who's been asking you. Oh dear, really? For your favourite public loo experiences. When was the last time you used a public toilet? Uh, Debenhams about two weeks ago. Probably the last time would have been at some point in the Arndale, maybe with my son at some point when he needed to go. When was the last time you used a public toilet? Gosh, um, I don't remember to be honest. Quite some time ago, years ago. If I don't need one, I won't go. What was the quality of that one many years ago that you might have used? You know, kind of been good or bad either way because I don't remember it very well. I don't know. <laughs> it's been a while ago then. <laughs> yes, quite a while ago. Can you remember, I mean, toilets you've used, any good? Not normally, I think that's what puts me off going in. Do you try and stay clearer well, the than them? The ones pancreas are quite nice. <laughs> Never. Never? Why? Never. Because they're dirty and there's no toilet paper. So I can't ask you your favourite public toilets? No, because I don't use them. I will wait till I get home. I don't know. Was it a long time ago? Yeah. Do you try and stay away from them, then? Mostly, yeah. <laughs> Why is that? They're not always particularly clean. When was the last time you used a public toilet? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I, well, in um, public toilet at Blackfriars, I would 
used one about uh, two, two or three days ago. Do you uh, try and stay away from them, or are you oh, quite well, happy I do. To... I do try to stay away from them. Yes, I do. What about your favourite public toilets? I mean, <laughs> they're, they're not the greatest of places, are they? My favourite? I'm not sure I've got a favourite. <laughs> um, I would say Blackfriars, because it's a relatively new station. It's quite clean. There we go. That uh, was we, we send Gareth out on all of the uh, the best gigs, don't we? Now, did you miss any of this at the weekend? Mm. Strictly Come Dancing, of course, and I was forced to watch a little bit of it on Saturday. If you if you missed it, don't worry, because we've got some very important people who watch it for us. I have a team of under tens who watch it and take notes and tell me what I missed. Today, we've got all the way from their home in Flamstead, we have the very sophisticated Angus, aged eight, and his hard-hitting news journalist brother, Edward, aged five. Good morning, Angus. Good morning. Good morning, Edward. Good morning. How are you both doing this morning? We're doing fine. Why aren't you at school? Um, well, I'm on holiday, and Edward's taking the time off quickly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Edward, are you bunking off school to come here today? Yeah. Are you going to go to school afterwards? Yes. Okay, good. What lessons have you got today? Well... I don't really know. You don't know. <laughs> Will there be uh, any playing? Yes. There you go. You see, you're learning to play. Uh, uh, and Angus, you're, you're on school holidays already? Yep. That started a bit early, hasn't it? Yes, it definitely OK, now listen, you're, I, I was forced to watch some of Strictly Come Dancing on Saturday. Why do you like it so much? Well, I, I like seeing with the dancing and the yep. twisty turns and lifts yeah. and... Yeah. The fast dances are better than the slow dances, aren't Definitely. they? The slow, dan- the slow dances are so boring, aren't they, Angus? Yep. Oh, so- <laughs> yep. <laughs> Edward, sorry. Oh, the, the slow ones are so boring. Yes. What, why do you like it so much, Edward? What's your favourite bit? Um, well, kind of seeing the scores. You like the scores? I. Who's your favourite judge? Is it? It's not. It's who's the the, the man? Who's the man that goes? My darling, you are marvelous. I loved it. Oh, I yeah. think it was fantastic. Oh yeah, I loved Bruno. that. Yeah, Bruno. Bruno. I loved him when he fought, when he fell off his chair. Did he fall off his chair? One day. Edward, yeah. can you give me a Bruno impression? I loved it, darling. It was marvelous. I loved it. It was wonderful. Can you do some of that? Can you can you give us some of that, Angus? It was wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> He's fun to pretend to be. Right, Angus, tell me what happened this weekend. What was what were the highlights? Um, well, one of the best dancers was um, Kimberly and Pashi's second dance. She's the girl allowed, isn't she? Yeah. She's from Girls Allowed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She she was good. Why why was it so good? Um, well, because there, there was a bit when they did cartwheels and oh. um, um, they um. Pasha lifted Kimberly up, and then Kimberly lifted Pasha up, wow. and then Pasha lifted Kimberly up. Wowzers, that sounds complicated. Yeah. I saw, uh, I saw her dance, and I saw Tracy Beaker yes. dance. Yes. Yeah. You, like, you like Tracy Beaker? Yeah. Is Tracy Beaker any good? I couldn't work it out. Uh, yeah. She, she normally does, um, tangos, or, yeah, but, yeah, she's good. Edward, you got excited then when I met Tracy Beaker, mentioned Tracy Beaker. Why? Do you like her? Yes. Why, why is she so special? She's on TV. Exactly. That's, and that's all it takes these days. That's all it takes. Edward, who was the worst dancer this week? Well, Louis and Flavia's, um, was it their second? Yeah, it was first? their second. Yeah, they were so boring and slow. It was boring and slow, was it? I like, Flavia I like, I like her hair, but have you heard her speak? No. She's dead common. I thought she'd be quite. I thought she'd be quite posh, but she's not. Disappointed me a little bit. You shouldn't be snobbish about these things. But I kind of expected all ballroom dancers to be very well, well spoken. Who got booted out? Uh, Lisa, Lisa and Robin, Robin did. 
Why? Would, uh, the, uh, Lisa, we thought they were going to go. Why did you think they were going to go? Well, we don't really know. Mm. <laughs> but you you watched it and you went, oh, I think they're going to go. Yeah. Was it, tell me we what was... We thought they were going to be in the dance-off. Right. And why, what was wrong with their dance? Well... In the first dance, she, she had a trip up and she fell over. And we're not sure yeah. if she should have done that. Oh, I would imagine that the trip up was not part of the routine. Mm. That's not going to look good. It, well, they kind of had to do one dance and then get changed for their next dance. Yeah. See, learning two dances, I would find that really hard. One dance, one dance I could do easily, because it's just, you're just moving, it's this, isn't it? You just move your arms at the same yeah. time like that. Anyone can do that. But having to do, and then go and get changed, as you say, Edward, and then do another dance, that would be really tricky, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm, yeah. Could you, are you, are you any good at dancing? No. You can, you can do it? No. You, you can, not at all? No, not really. Can, can you, can you do some dancing? Yes, I can kind of get, I can nearly get to the bottom of the splits. Well, th- that sounds like a challenge to me. Can we can we see you nearly get to the bottom of the splits, or do you need to warm up? I don't want to cause any damage on a cold morning. I don't need to warm up. You don't need to warm up. Is it is it safe, Mum? Is it safe for him to go and get, get to nearly? Edward, this is it. This is a first day listener of BBC Three Counties Radio. Come on, Edward. Let's go. There's plenty of space over here. Edward, age five. When do you turn six, Edward? When are you six? October 15th. Oh, okay, so you're only just five. Edward is going to get nearly to the bottom of the split live on BBC Three Counties Radio, the first for news. Away you go, sir. He's going down, he's doing it. Oh, my goodness gracious me, it's a man of nearly 40. I'm wincing. That's amazing. Well done. Can you get back, back up? You okay? No, no damage. You can walk perfectly. Sit back down. Uh, and Angus, you, you, you can't do that. No. Good. You, it's sensible not to do that. Okay, so listen, so you like the dancing. You've made such detailed notes there. Well, can, quickly go through some of those notes. What have you got for us? Pick well, out the best bits. Uh, Bruno stood up. We got how many times he stood up. Oh, this is what I want. How many times did Bruno stand Eleven. up? Eleven times. Wonderful. This is Now, suddenly, you've made the show more interesting, because I would sit there and count that. I would count Bruno. What other stats have you got for us? Uh, we got um, who should win. Yep. Um, I think we both got Danny and Vinton for that. Right. Danny is Tracy Beaker. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And okay. then we both voted for Danny and Vinton. Do you actually phone up and do the voting? Yep. Yeah. Do you, does does Mum mind you phone up? Because it's, it costs a little bit, doesn't it, to phone? Mm-hmm. Mum, yep. Mum's okay. Mum's okay. With it. She, right. she doesn't um, mind. She doesn't mind. Okay. Yeah, do, you, do you tell her that you're, you're, you're going to be voting? Yes. You just, you don't, okay, you always, always get permission. Only, we when, only when we're going to be on three counties. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Well done. And what, what other stats have you got? We had our least favourite and our favourites. Go on. Um, our least favourites were Louis and Flavio, and our favourite Teddy were... Danny Harner and Vincent. Mm. What, now listen, you, you're, you're young lads, you're young boys, you should be out riding bikes and making catapults and climbing trees and, yeah. uh, you know, getting frogs and putting them in jars and, and getting, as I did when I was a boy, getting a shoebox, filling it with mud and putting a load of worms in until your mum finds it and tells you off. Why are you not doing these things? Because they're naughty. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I do the riding a bike a lot. But yeah. Yes. Um, and, I'm, and I'm off stabilisers. Are you off the stabilisers? When did you get off the stabilisers? Well, I... Well, I don't know, but I can ride it on my own without stabilizers. How would you like to hear that fact, uh, Edward, be in the a news bulletin at nine o'clock? Would you like Catherine Boyle to read out the fact that you're off stabilizers in the news? Because I can make that happen. Yes. Yeah? <laughs> Catherine Boyle, can we put in the nine o'clock bulletin that Edward is off stabilizers on his bike, please? Thank you very much. He's from Flamstead. <laughs> you're going to be in the news. You're actually going to be in the news. 
Fingers crossed if she falls. Yeah, well, that was just you. You're the one who's off stabilisers. I'm assuming that Angus is still on them. No, he's no, off. Are oh, you off? He's so off. I do apologise. <laughs> Christmas, listen, f- forget Strictly for a minute. Christmas is coming up. Yes. Uh, what have you asked Father Christmas for? Well... Well... I've asked this Wii game, which is called Me Party. Oh, yeah, I know the Me Party, yeah, OK. Yeah, like I've it. asked for a video camera. Oh, I, things have changed. When I was, when I was uh, eight and five, I think I asked for a stick. That's what we used to have in the old days, was a stick and a hoop. Uh, are you looking forward to Christmas? Yes. yes. Yeah? What, what are you doing? Anything nice? Uh, we're sta- going to our great aunt. Oh. She had Gug. She's called yeah, Gug. Yeah, we call her Gug. She's called Gug? Yeah, we call her Gug. Why is she called Gug? Uh, I know how you spell Gug. Gug. <laughs> he is brilliant! <laughs> Listen, I am... No, Edward, I am off next week. Um, I'm, I'm having a week off. I thought I'd treat myself, spend some time with the family. Do you fancy coming and doing the show for me? No. That's not the re- reaction I was expecting. Chap, <laughs> thank you so much for coming in. I oh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that, and I really appreciate the work you put in. Do you want to say hello to any of your friends or any of your teachers or anything? Uh, yes. No, yes. Go on, there. Don't be shy. Listen, the, the airwaves, the 30 seconds, the airwaves are yours. Away you go. Well, if Dad's there, hello. And if Dad's not there, where on earth are you? Edward, who do you want to say hello to? <laughs> My girlfriend, Siri's where I'm going to marry. <laughs> Wowzers, what? <laughs> Forget the rest of the show. This suddenly just got good. What's what's your girlfriend's name? Teresa. Teresa. And you're going to get married to her? Yes. And how old is Teresa? Well, she's five she's and three quarters. Five and th- Oh, older woman. Excellent stuff. Well done. And when are you planning on getting married? Well, she doesn't actually know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Are you proposing? Are you doing like they do on Jeremy Carly? Are you proposing live on air? No. OK, well, we'll, well, listen, let us know. Keep us informed on how that goes, young man, and best of luck with that. And be listening to the news bulletin at nine o'clock if you can. If not, get someone to tape it for you, because I think you're going to be in the headlines. Boys, thank you so much. Thank you, Mum, for coming in. Excellent, excellent stuff. Right. Oh, I enjoyed that a lot. Wasn't that fun? Weren't they brilliant? Will he make the news headlines at nine o'clock? Stay tuned. Ah, fantastic. Well, there we go. I, I enjoyed uh, having those boys in. They were great, weren't they? Angus and Edward. Bruno stood up 11 times. That's what we should be... That suddenly has made Strictly Come Dancing more exciting to me. If, if I were a drinker, I'm not. But that would be a great drinking game. You drink every time Bruno stands up. Or says the word marvellous. Now, are you happy with the speed limit on the motorway, or would you prefer it to be 80 miles an hour? The Transport Secretary, Patrick McLaughlin, has played down the chances of the government increasing the speed limit on motorways to 80 miles an hour. Uh, Philip Hammond, when he was Transport Secretary, said the move would generate hundreds of millions of pounds of economic benefits through shorter journey times. Well, BBC Three Counties reporter Gareth Lloyd has been out in Bedfordshire this morning. Morning, Gareth! Morning, in. What have you been finding out? I've been finding out what people think of this is 70 miles an hour okay at the moment and some people do say that yeah they're quite happy with 70 some people said 70 is okay because you actually can go a little bit faster than 70 but don't tell anyone and then there's the people saying that uh, 80 would be quite a good idea but then they suddenly think about it and go well if they break the speed limit at 70 maybe they'll break the speed limit at 80 and we'll start ending up with people going down the motorway at 90 so yeah because uh, that, that doesn't happen now does it um, you never see people doing 90 now you, well, you wouldn't you wouldn't dream of it no. would you you know we're all sticking to the speed limit exactly of course to, we are. To, the, to the number so that's what people have been uh, saying to me this morning uh, around Bedfordshire, where it has just started actually spitting. And so, uh, so Kate was completely correct on the uh, on the outskirts of Luton. People, stop spitting at Gareth. He's a nice fella. Leave him alone, <laughs> for goodness sakes. <laughs> this is what people have been saying to me this morning. Thank you. Speed limits on motorways. 70 enough? 80 would be better, do you think? What's your thoughts? 
Well, I think most people accept that um, 80 is generally the accepted speed of a motorway. Uh, the, the danger is if you increase the speed limit to 80, then people view 90 as acceptable. They're safe, certainly would be safer. It uh, depends upon people's driving habits. Eh? Wouldn't it be nicer to go a bit faster on the motorway? Yeah, but you seem to have the driving on the motorway nowadays. Is 70 enough? Would 80 be a, a bit better? 80's fine. You think? Yeah, 80's fine? Definitely. But wouldn't then people maybe get up to 90 on, on the motorways? Most people do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this day and age should be 80. At the moment, 70, 60, 70. What's the point of making a three-litre car if you're not allowed? You're only trying to hold it back. What are your thoughts? I think 80 might be a better option. I ride a motorcycle when I'm not commuting on the train. Um, and I think, yes, in certain circumstances, 80 might be a better option. But with 70, we see people creeping up to 80. So with 80, would we see...? I think you might do, yes. It would, requ- would require a great deal of tolerance on the part of the driver. But I think we should be more invigilation, if, uh, more, um, invigilation by the police force on it. Probably 80 would be better, considering that most people break the speed limit anyway. But will people then break that limit? Probably, which is a bit worrying. So maybe we should say 40 <laughs> and watch them go. No, I think it's enough. You're happy with 70? Yeah. yeah. But uh, we could go a bit faster. Surely it's not going to cause any more accidents? No, I'm happy with 70. <laughs> Gareth, you're still there? I'm still here. Uh, <laughs> are you sure? I'm here. Okay, good lad. Uh, but the thing is, on the motorways, it does seem to be kind of lawless anyway. No one sticks to 70. Uh, and if anyone does, they get beeped and flashed and, and told to move out of the way. And uh, on the way in, I come in, you know, half past four in the morning on the M1, it's empty. I see people bombing past me going well over 100 miles an hour. I think people just are completely uh, bamboozled to a certain extent because there's that rumour, isn't there, that, that, oh, they all allow 10% leeway. 10% plus two Uh, and there's all different formulas and things around it. That 10% is because... Thanks very much. That 10% might be because uh, your car might be 10% out. So then you're you're going at 10% plus 10% and you'll be then... Look at the noisy lot over there in the garage, aren't they? Dearie me. Um, but, you know, so completely crazy. I mean, and there's the also problem of the uh, the motorway with their temporary speed limits. They're changing their road work. So uh, do we spend too long actually looking at the signs? I'm getting real abuse from across the road at the moment. Why they're is everyone picking it. on you? What have you done? You're a, have you got trousers on today, I, haven't you, Gareth? I'm wearing trousers. I'm no, wearing good, fine, then. good jeans and smart shoes this morning. Well, listen, I, I can't, you know, encourage any bad behaviour, but, you know, you tell them what's what. And I stick at 70 and uh, on the motorway, unless it's uh, in the uh, the speed restrictions when it drops to 60 or 50, and then I do that speed as well. Gareth Lloyd, thank you very much indeed. Let's hope Gareth gets back safely. The reason I ask about him wearing trousers is he, d- he sometimes forgets. One of those. Now, the future of the Surges Centre in Stevenage is facing more uncertainty after local NHS commissioners said they would not be overseeing the contract from next spring. The hospital in the grounds of Lister Hospital is privately managed but uses NHS staff to carry out routine operations such as eye surgery and knee replacements. Ooh, just ponder for a second, a knee replacement. Oh, dearie me. I pray that never happens. It's embroiled in a catalogue of errors. Well, tonight, an investigation by Inside Out will reveal more medical problems. Presenter David Whiteley joins me now. Morning, David. Good morning, Ian. Just, just for a second, just imagine having your knee replaced. Yeah, not, not, a, not a great thing to imagine. <sighs> I can't in, think of anything any worse. I'm, but obviously, you know, but when people have had them done, though, they do say it gives them a new lease of life. Oh, it's, you know, it's but, an amazing thing, and it's amazing it's, that we that, can do that. Yeah, but just, don't think, it, just don't think about the process. The Surgery <laughs> Centre opened uh, a, a little over a year ago. Mm. It, what's gone wrong, David? Well, there have been problems from the start. Uh, firstly, 8,500 patient files went missing. It meant patients wow. didn't get to see their consultants. Uh, in the case of degenerative eye disorders, that's particularly dangerous. Uh, delays to treatment meant six patients actually lost their 
site. Uh, many more faced waits of more than 18 weeks for follow-up appointments. Uh, we've spoken to others who feel their site has deteriorated. Uh, some of those are now talking about legal action. Now, concerns were first spotted by the local optical committee uh, back in January. Optometrist Andrew Merry says there was a severe loss of confidence. It's not about money. And it's not about the management, it's, it's about working together to progress the, the system forward so these issues that you have raised don't happen again. In the last two and a half months, I've made huge inroads. We've even looked at um, mystery shop environments. We've even looked at uh, the whole appointment system and all the touch points. And that has been progressed. Now, that would never happen in the NHS. Uh, there have been pr- continuing problems despite inspections and warnings from the Care Quality Commission and intervention by the Primary Care Trust. Uh, NHS Hertfordshire, uh, two patients died following routine joint procedures. Uh, waiting times were breached, 21 serious incidents. The, the list goes on. Uh, tonight's programme, we reveal a further serious development. Uh, th- this story has been covered on three counties for mm. a year. I've only been here three months and I've done it a couple of times. Yeah. It, it, it feels like it's taking too long to turn this surgery centre around. Yeah, well, in the last few days, bosses within the local NHS uh, seem to be queuing up to add to the, add their criticism of the way the surgery centre is still being run. Uh, it's a private company uh, running it called Clinic Centre, uh, part of the construction giant Carillion. Uh, now, we've got Chief Executive of the Strategic Health Authority, Sir Neil McKay, calling for an urgent meeting with his counterpart at the Care Quality Commission. He's described the services as evidently substandard. And another NHS boss, um, the Chief Executive of the East and North Hertfordshire Clinical Commissioning Group, there's a mouthful. Uh, Leslie Watts uh, has told us she doesn't think sufficient progress has been made at the surgery centre and that she remains concerned about performance. Now, her board last week agreed it will not take over management of the private contract when it assumes control of NHS commissioning in the spring. That contract was worth £150 million over five years and has four years left to run. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, the end of the privatisation experiment, but the Department of Health will have to find someone else to oversee the contract. What does the private company Clinic Centre say? Well, it's desperate to put the problems behind it. In a statement, it told us we would like to reassure patients that concerns have not been uh, been raised regarding the competence of our clinical teams. Uh, complaints were down from 130 a month to 20. Uh, there's a helpline to patients who are worried. It's 0845 120 2396. Um, 0845 It also categorically denies that profit has been put before patient care and says three quarters of eye patients now rate them very good or better. However, new referrals for both eyes and joints have been suspended and there's no sign that ban will be lifted. The Clinic Centre uh, does have support from Mike Duxbury. Uh, he's the new chief exec of the Hertfordshire Society for the Blind. One particular case that comes to mind um, was of a patient that I've known for many years. Uh, and I know full well that he has only one functioning eye. He has been diagnosed with glaucoma. Uh, His follow-up appointments were not being made, and he was being put off time and time again. And having made... um, He even attempted to make an appointment in person. Thank you very much, David Whiteley, for that. More on tonight's Inside Out. Um, fascinating story. Very quickly, we've got time for one final call. Pat is in Milton Keynes. Pat, would you like to see the speed limit raised to 80? Um, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I think that's actually quite a good thing, because on the continent, they do 130 kilometres an hour, which is sort of around about 80. Mm. Um, but I do stick to 70 on the motorways. And if you're the person behind me, if you want to come in my car, that's fine. But please don't flash me, because it takes me an awfully long time to pull back again when people flash me. It does, it, there, is that annoying thing, isn't it? Hey, you're sticking to the speed limit, so I'm going to drive right up your backside and flash you. But, yes. but you, you don't hog the middle lane, do you, Pat? Oh, 
I hate it. I hate it. Good. Okay. No, I, I keep in the left-hand lane. Good for you. And use the other two as overtaking. Yeah, which is what they're meant to be. You're driving yeah. properly. Pat, we'll end it there. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Sophie. There we go. It's uh, the last Monday. I do for a couple of weeks. I've got next week off. I'm very, very excited. I'll be back tomorrow at six o'clock. Thank you very much for all of your calls. Tomorrow is a thank you special. We're going to be just saying thank you to people. JVS is up next. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Finally, an exclusive from five-year-old Edward from Flamstead was revealed live on the Ian Lee Show this morning. I'm off stabilisers. Rumours older brother Angus, aged 80, still on stabilisers are as yet unconfirmed.